0: Hello survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 35 and in this special episode we go back to that big spooky how-to where it all began as we cover the 1996 original Resident Evil's 25th anniversary. My name is Sineac; you can just call me Sai, and joining me on the panel this week... You may be dreaming of a port of the classic RE titles to modern systems, or maybe even a Spencer Mansion game in the RE engine. Really, all that he wants is Resident XCOM. It's Fire Button Steve Balance.
1: True, this is true actually, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's why I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Narrow and close to the vacant flat, you'll find him wandering about a secure place. From Steamforge Games, it's Sherwin Matthews.
2: I've never found a way out of the vacant flat.
0: (laughs) And we'll be safe here with our expert on bitey things that jump from the shadows. Oh, sadly, that's the Xenomorph kind, not the POW kind. All the same, it's Moist Owlet, a.k.a. James.
3: Hey, guys.
0: This episode of First Aid Spray, like all others, was recorded live on our Discord server. Enter our little world of survival horror now to hear the show early and unedited, as well as join our wonderful community to keep up to date with all of the latest news. You can find a link to the server, as well as all of our social media profiles, at our website, faspraypod.com. You can also help the show by checking out our merch or by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month with various tiers, each with their own perks. Head over to patreon.com forward slash faspraypod for a full list and the chance to create bonus first aid spray content.
1: First aid spray. You're really becoming a problem for
0: me. So, first things first with the housekeeping, thank you to our latest Patreon supporter, thank you to Adam Matthews for your support, and thank you to everyone for their continued patronage. Um, Being served up on the Patreon side of things this time is the Silent Hill 2 episode that is available for a little bit longer for Patreons, uh, but will be coming to public soon, as our Dawn of the Dead Film Club special also has done now, is now out publicly. As always, these episodes come out for a month for our Patreon supporters, our tyrant-backer-level Patreon supporters, which means they'll get to hear us talk about Heavy Rain a month before everyone else, which won a recent poll, and also Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, which won a recent poll. So there's some really interesting topics coming up. They also got to hear, now that's what I call Survival Horror Resident Evil 1996, uh, the sort of 45-minute podcast that Sherwin and I did talking about the music of the original Resident Evil. That is now out publicly, but all future episodes of that show will be uh, Patreon-exclusive for a month, and then they will come to YouTube for everybody. No plans to put them on the podcast feed yet. Uh, That may come at some point, but if you want to listen to um, the highly praised episode of us talking about Resident Evil music, do go check that out over on our YouTube. And speaking of which, our most recent editorial video is five loose plot threads from the Resident Evil series. Um, which was one that I've been working away on, on, on for a little while, talking about, yeah, fairly self-explanatory stuff that hasn't quite been resolved yet. Uh, so that's quite a fun one as well. That, I think, is everything that's been going on behind the scenes and out into the world. Uh, so let's move on to the larger portion of the news, the biohazard news. Steve, take it away. Our first
1: piece of news, then. Netflix have announced that Resident Evil Infinite Darkness leads voice actors are Nick Apostolidis and Stephanie Panacello reprising their roles from the Resident Evil 2 remake.
0: I think, in a way, um, this was a safe prediction, I guess. We saw it coming in some form. It's going to be interesting to see them... um, play those characters at that time in their lives, because obviously this being set between sort of RE4 and RE6, Leon's voice is suddenly going to change with this new entry and then <laughs> and then change again now. Um, and, and same with Claire, it's going to suddenly change and then change back or whatever. Um, but yeah, very happy myself to see those two actors get another shot. Um, we talked about it before. that As a performance, they both did uh, fantastically. James, I'm sure you're probably in the same camp with this reaction.
4: Yeah, I'm so excited about this because I mean, we all know, as you mentioned, Sai, we all know that like Capcom like to dither and kind of skip between people. And you know, I love mm. my Matthew Mercer, but it's really nice to see that they are keeping some continuity here with the VOs. Um, yeah, with with Nick and and uh, Steph here, like it's it's so good. And I'm hoping because they're they're very young people, I'm hoping that right. they they keep this train going. You know, and they keep them there. Um, they'll be, they'll create their own legacy with this. I, I feel, and yeah, I, they deserve it because they do fantastic jobs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I could see that. You know, um, luckily for them, in a way, they're part of sort of like this new wave of hype around the series. You know, Resident Evil Two was a huge success, so they are going to be recognised as those characters. And as you say, they've got a long career ahead of them. So I could very easily see them playing these characters for a decade plus. Who knows? Depends what happens with the series, of course. But yeah, good stuff indeed. Uh Steve, what do you think? Happy? Excited?
1: As as everybody else. I'm glad they've got a second crack at bat. They've uh, interacted with the community a lot and obviously seen probably a lot of feedback from fans and Capcom alike. So if there's anything they can change to maybe mitigate a few of the, uh, should we say, more uh ornery parts of the fandom, that might be nice. Mm. I mean, I was fine with them in the first place, but I know some people get a bit eh, about their portrayal. So it will be nice to see how they go and how they evolve.
0: Yeah, I think I've said before, but in case of not, I think any issues that I might have had with Remake 2, Claire, really just sort of comes down to parts of the script. I think as a performance, uh, Steph did really well. So I'm excited to see her portray. uh, Well, both of these characters are are, are different by this point. You know, Leon will be interesting to see what kind of personality they give him, because his personality sort of flips a little bit around from sort of uh, st- stupid joke making action hero guy and, and and moody dude TM but you know with Claire at this point you know this she's making a big jump from RE2 into sort of the beginning of Terror Save and stuff like that so I'm very excited Sherwin um, your reaction to this I'm not sure we've had you sort of talk about Infinite Darkness at all so are you interested in the show as well?
2: Yeah it'd be kind of fun I mean I, I'd not, I always keep an open mind with that sort of stuff but um, just for a note on the voice actors I think what What's come up over the course of last year and this year has, has been a really awesome uh groundswell of kind of um of interest in the voice actors. Like I've no I've not seen this in mm, so ever before. Um yeah, well it's to the point where you have streams like regular streams from uh, Nicole, who was what Jill in R E3, for example, um, you know, playing various different games from the series. Mm. Yeah, where where I mean you can really even like properly geek out. I think there was there's one video somewhere floating around on YouTube of kind of literally like the voice actors for Marvin, Jill, Chris, uh sorry not Chris, um Marvin, Jill, uh Claire, Leon, everybody playing Among Us, for example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is cool. DC uh, it's, as it's, well. Yeah, exactly. There's just such a massive awesome kind of groundswell and it's it's really interesting because it's adding extra dimensions to these games, and it's adding extra stuff to the community, which is just really positive. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter what it is; like people are really just buying into it. It just feels very much more—it's much more welcoming. It just feels nice. So yeah, I—it's I, I, cool. It's good that those guys are going to get another chance to kind of you know build those characters up um, and sort of you know have provide a bit of continuity. Mm. And yeah, you know, more mm-hmm. RE content. We've talked about the different universes of RE before. You know it, it's all good. To somebody in their own way even if it's not particularly your favorite thing it's still gonna be good somewhere so it's
4: all good
3: yeah
2: um
4: also like it's like it's so nice to see them be so involved with this franchise like Mm. like you were saying that show and like it's so nice and i really do recommend watching these folks on uh like doing their streams um like I just recently have been watching uh, just a short shout out. I've been recently watching a lot of uh, Christopher Michael, Michael Watson, who plays Marvin and he's just finished. He's never played the remake before and he's just mm. finished it. And it was so fascinating because he was actually t- storytelling you through the game. Um sorry di- divert a little bit there, but just, yeah, he's, he's a fantastic, fantastic person in streamer as well. So definitely go uh, check them out.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. It's, I, I definitely,
2: really cool. I sorry. I was going to say, I uh, just to echo that, um, Nicole Tompkins, who's Jill from RE3, is another one, but do do, do really turn down the speaker volume because she screams a lot. Um <laughs> and it, will, it will destroy your speakers. If you're wearing headphones, you'll just die. Um, so kind <laughs> of so funny, yeah. so bear that in mind.
0: That's uh, funny, I, 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 heard
2: her most, I heard on a most recent stream she actually put some software on her machine to sort of dampen it. It was that bad. People <laughs> were complaining. Bless her. So um yeah, that's
0: great if you, yeah
2: if you go if you go from i was just thinking like because i've been
4: to nicole's at not the same night but if you i was just thinking if you go from christopher's who's like this really smooth talking person mm. right very quiet right to then nicole's it's like such a juxtaposition you'd <laughs> probably have to mess around with the volume button it's yeah.
0: really cool to see them doing that kind of stuff definitely and some of them you know they're like cosplaying their characters and stuff like that they're really engaged with the community which is uh, yeah it's it's wonderful you know a lot of these actors have done streams with people that we've worked with as well like Sonny Bauer and uh, Crimson Head team and stuff like that so they're really um, engaged with the different aspects of the community and the different groups and stuff like that so it's really cool especially in terms of when we talk about Crimson Head and you know if you aren't aware of their podcasts often where they interview the voice actors most of the time for the old you know the voice actors from the older games they have no idea the impact they've had you know back then Resident Evil wasn't huge mammoth series that it is still today um whereas these you know crop of voice actors grew up playing the games or being game like video game fans and more being involved with the industry so it it yeah it's it's a really cool sea change as you said everything now is very different to how it was so yeah hopefully capcom sees that um and and pushes ahead with that because of that engagement's really good they also, um, Netflix also dropped a synopsis, which I'm quickly going to read for the show as well, just to sort of set it up. We don't have any release window, really. They said this year sometime. Um, I have no idea when exactly i'm sure we'll get a full trailer with the release date at some point but uh yeah so the synopsis is in 2006 there were traces of improper access to secret presidential files found in the white house's network american federal agent leon s kennedy is among the group invited to the white house to investigate this incident but when the lights suddenly go out leon and the swat team are forced to take down a horde of mysterious zombies Meanwhile, TerraSafe staff member Claire Redfield encounters a mysterious image drawn by a youth in a crunch in a country she visited while providing support to refugees. Haunted by this drawing, which appears to be of a victim of viral infection, Claire starts her own investigation. The next morning, Claire visits the White House to request the construction of a welfare facility. There, she has a chance reunion with Leon and uses the opportunity to show him the boy's drawing. Leon seems to realise some sort of connection between the zombie outbreak at the White House and the strange drawing, but he tells Claire that there is no relation and leaves. In time, these two zombie outbreaks in distant countries lead to events that shape the nation to its very core. Quite interesting. We've got a clearer idea of when it takes place with 2006, so it sets it exactly a year after degeneration, so... Claire on Claire and Leon just seem to keep bumping into each other, I guess, every year at this stage. Um but yeah, it's gonna be nice to see early TerraSafe stuff. Um and Leon working with the, the presidency and, and all that, you know, it's it it seems like it's gonna be it's gonna fit snugly into the canon. Steve, what do you think of the setup?
1: Honestly, I'm fine with it. I'm kinda of gutted that it's not present day, so to speak. Mm. I would have rather it have been set around village just to keep the hype in the current law, but I'm fine with stuff in the back. The only downside is uh, you know that Leon and Claire, whatever's going to happen, are going to make it, which. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously, sure. I don't want to see him die. Don't get me wrong. But it'd be nice to know that there's that potential threat, you know, that something dramatic could happen in Infinite Darkness that shakes the cannon to its core. Um, <laughs> all being said, yeah. it looks fancy. I- I'm-, I'm down to clown. It looks good.
0: Yeah. That's the only problem with intercourse, I suppose, is that you know that it's, it's not going to cause any major ripples necessarily, or at least not until much later. Um, like Dark Side did, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah, it does. It does look good. Um, and yeah. yeah, James, what do you think of the the setup there? Um,
4: I really, yeah, I really like it. I mean, they keep it just vague enough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can't, yeah, they keep it just they keep it so vague that you can't really discuss much. But the thing I'm most excited about, um, if they do touch on it, because I feel because it is a TV series, so. Like, I feel like they need to, right? Is some origins of of Leon, how he got to from RE2 to where he is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we got some of that degeneration, but I want to see Nick's kind of um, representation of that and the script's represent- representation of that. And yeah, I want to, and, and of course, Claire as well. But mm-hmm. this is kind of the beginning of a new arc for Claire, isn't it?
0: Yeah, this, definitely. This yeah. This will yeah. be, because really, in terms of her appearances, we go, to Code Veronica, big jump to Degeneration, big jump to Revelations 2. So, I mean, it's only just after Degeneration, but there's some important like details that you can really nestle in there.
4: Yeah. Like, it would be really cool to get, like, you know, it doesn't need to be much, maybe like five minutes of, you know, what Leon went through to get where he is now, to be... <laughs> mm-hmm. I, d- I mean, I didn't do that arc. It's just new arc for Claire. I see what you did there. I did do that. Sorry. <laughs> um accidental um but yeah uh i i mean yeah if they just do like five to seven minutes of could just pre-roll yeah. of like how leon got there because i mean to jump from a rookie cop i mean i know that that experience was him becoming a veteran but still that's one experience and it really shook him i want to know like the the training process he went through who he went through to get where he is now
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: if we're talking flashbacks, something I would actually like to see, uh, if they do it, I doubt they will, but I'd like to see like when they get picked up as they leave Raccoon City, because a lot of stuff happens there that we, yeah. we we get told about in RE3's epilogue, and that's the only time we've ever really seen it, and I think that would probably fill in a bit some of the blanks that James is getting on about,
0: really. Yeah, definitely. There's there's lots With it being a series like this, we don't know how long the episodes are going to be or how many there's going to be, but there is space for stuff like that where you can dot in information from all over the timeline, really, uh, up to that point, it'll be interesting to see if they reference any RE4 stuff uh, to see Nick sort of playing that part of Leon's history. And in terms of picking these characters, Steve, as you said, it's, it's odd. It's not like a present day thing. Um, I think it is just basically to to do something with Leon and Claire who aren't affiliated with Village, but mm. they obviously will be a part of the live action film which is coming out this year. Um, so it is almost going to be like you know, go see the film and then watch the show a couple months later or whatever and see what happened to these characters, you know, um, eight years later.
4: In terms, in terms of like the what's going to happen next, right, because we've got Chris and Ethan and Mia and then we've got Leon and, you know, and Claire and then beforehand we had the remake of Jill. That came first mm-hmm. out of this kind of short little stint. This mean we're going to get Which we all want. Does this mean we're going to get like a series or a film about Jill? Or a game about Jill?
0: I think it could happen. So many people are clamoring for more Jill appearances, especially after Remake 3. And it's sorely needed. So it could happen. People are shouting about it. Capcom are listening.
1: So our second bit of news. Resident Evil Village's file size has finally been revealed.
0: I don't know if this was like... I don't know if it's still out there or it's been taken down, but basically... Uh, it, it, it was listed on a Microsoft store. Um, according to... I'm just reading... There's many articles about this. Uh, but I'm specifically reading from Shaq News who say that uh, it will be 15 gigabytes of space uh, when buying the regular version of the game. Uh, this rockets to 25 gigabytes when purchasing the complete bundle. I don't exactly know what that means because... Surely that does I mean, I mean, Re Verse comes with the the regular version of the game too. It comes in as standard. So I don't know why there's an extra ten gigabytes for, for the the special edition, which I guess just comes with like a keychain and stuff like that. I don't know why it's an extra ten. Um, the, uh, you,
1: see, you see, it is. It's because the, the graphical detail on these extra items side are like just something next level. Yeah, like, you know, a single like you know a single pixel is like ten gigs of hard drive space.
4: <laughs> That's the, the VR component. Yeah, yes. the extra 10 gig is the merchant turns into the actual wagon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, and then, yeah, on top of that, uh, our reverse is going to be about 15 gigabytes. Um, it's also being said, you know, we don't talk too much about leaks, but this is not particularly like a big spoiler, I'd say. But uh, according to a leak, the PS5 file size is going to be about 70, uh, sorry, 27, 70, 27 uh, or 28 gigabytes. Um, although we don't know if that includes RE versus R15 as well or not. So it's pretty good, actually. You know, Capcom in general, especially with Resident Evil, I find it really good at keeping their file sizes um, down. Obviously, we don't know if there's going to be a day one patch and how big that's going to be. But generally speaking, RE games don't take up a whole lot of of, uh, system space, I find.
1: Consistently, I mean, RE7, like the closest parallel, that's Mm. only what... Uh, 15 or so gig in itself and then yeah, you throw in the like DLC that. for another 15 it's uh, it's not too bad at all yeah
0: so it's on course for what you, sh- what you should expect
1: I Have imagine they- there's got to be some placeholder stuff in play here though I mean like an extra 10 gigs for the special edition uh, that it, doesn't it, seem, it, yeah, it, yeah so I'm going to throw a citation needed on this Shaq News website just saying
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah Shaq, so <sort> out.
2: <laughs> called out um that is three hundred and seventy-five times bigger than Resident Evil: Guidance. Having just quickly done the math <laughs> uh, in the background of the file size of Resident Evil: Guidance versus what you're talking about there, um, you can fit three hundred and seventy-five Resident Evil: Guidance into Resident Evil: Village.
0: <laughs> That's a great, you know, like prank to pull on someone. I'm sure.
2: I, I just think it's very important. I, I'm pretty sure even Capcom don't even know that. This is literally breaking, breaking news. news. <laughs> breaking news. But that's, that's what we've given you this, this fine weekend slash Monday, depending on you know, when you're listening to it.
0: <laughs> and on that note, let's go way, way back in time, 25 years. Uh, it's our 35th episode, believe it or not, so we are going to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Resident Evil. And now, reading the file scrapbook from Resident Evil 1996, Amy, stylized as ATVTY.
5: Raccoon times, May 27, 1998. Animal attack? Woman mutilated. May 20, around 10pm, a 20-year-old woman's body was found by a passerby in the left bank of Marble River in the cedar district of Raccoon City. Raccoon police assume it to be a grizzly or other animal's doing because there are teeth marks along her mutilated arms and left foot that show considerable power. Since she was wearing a hiking boot on her remaining foot, it has been determined that she was attacked in the Arklay Mountains and fell into the river. They are hurrying to identify this woman. Raccoon Weekly, June 16, 1998. Monsters in the Arklay Mountains? Some people claim they've seen monsters in the Arklay Mountains. The monsters are supposedly about the same size as large dogs and usually run in a pack as wolves do. This may sound like a group of ordinary wild dogs, but these monsters are surprisingly fierce and hard to hurt. They say these dogs won't bother you unless you wake them. So you smart readers should stay out of the Arklay Mountains for the time being. But if you're looking for adventure, check it out. You want to try? Raccoon Times, July 9, 1998. Mystery on Arclay Mountains Mountain Road Blocked. Due to successive disasters in the Arclay Mountains, the city authorities have decided to block the road leading to the foothills. At the same time, Raccoon Police intend to begin the search for lost people with the help of STARS team members. They expect great difficulty because of the vast size of the Arklay Mountains and the primeval forest that covers most of the area. Also, people are still reporting sightings of grotesque monsters in the mountains.
0: So, if you're listening to this episode, on the day of release, it is now Resident Evil's 25th birthday. Happy birthday, Chris, Jill... Spencer Mansion, Hunters, Zombies, maybe not zombies, they sort of predate Resident Evil a little bit, but you know, that original experience PlayStation 1 the franchise is now quarter of a century old. Um we have talked about Resident Evil 1 a little bit <laughs> on and off on the podcast. Um on the on the original episode obviously we talked about the history of the series in general and I you know we usually we open with our first experiences, but I think we've all done that with this game at this stage. Um, we did talk about the D.E.S. port as well in Season 1 Deadly Silence, that's probably going to come up as well as it often does with First Aid Spray, we can't leave that port alone we haven't ever actually just specifically sat down and talked about what makes the original Resident Evil so good Um, whether or not it's completely stood the test of time what has, what hasn't Um, so it seemed like an appropriate way to celebrate Resident Evil's 25 years is to talk about the original game um, so let's start with gameplay I guess the the core feature of Resident Evil um, often called the the granddaddy of survival horror the the game that kind of coined the term uh, it was developed as a first-person game originally or at least conceptualized as one but that couldn't really work with the limitations of the hardware at the time Um, and instead what we got was a game that was inspired by Alone in the Dark uh, more than anything in terms of play style. So this is kind of where I wanted to start because if I remember rightly and I've said before my memory on this is pretty terrible um, I got into the Resident Evil series and I probably did some reading about it and I was intrigued by Alone in the Dark and I don't quite know how I got to play it, but I definitely did play it. I don't know if it was a demo or what, but it was on my PC at some point, somehow. I don't know. But um, I did experience the original uh, 92 Alone in the Dark. Um, and I remember thinking, wow, you know, just like, wow, this is this is ropey, this is aged. Um, but it was really interesting to look at a game that kind of inspired it. And it made me wonder, <laughs> when Resident Evil released, was there Alone in the Dark fans that were like, Oh, this is just a rip off <laughs> of what we already have. It's looked back as like revolutionary Resident Evil. Um, but when you see that original Alone in the Dark, you can definitely see where some of the ideas came from. Showen, did you ever play the original Alone in the Dark?
2: Yeah. I think I would have played um, like one of the ones that followed on afterwards because mm. I remember it wasn't like a more recent release. But um, I, c- I can say, Resident Evil definitely felt like a, uh, a really massive um, release at the time. It, what I, from I don't I remember anybody around then going, "Okay, so this is a knockoff or this is a copycat right. of, of Alone in the Dark." That wasn't anything that anyone really discussed. Now I, c- I can't speak as to that because I don't know the original um, Alone in the Dark. I mean, it might well be that Resident Evil took a lot of the components that are in that and then kind of pushed them so far. You know, so much further down the track that it kind of was almost indistinguishable. But mm-hmm. who knows?
0: Um, Steve, I know you've got experience with the series, as you kind of just alluded to there. Did you ever play the original Alone in the Dark?
1: I, uh, I've got a funny story actually. Uh, Regarding this, is this is a grim one in a way. Um, I didn't play Alone in the Dark ahead of time. I played it after the original Resident Evil. Right. But right. When I was a, when I was a wee lad, uh, I uh, I got to rent Alone in the Dark two. From my local rental shop. a rental shop kids is like a blockbuster. They're dead now. Rest in peace. And uh, yeah, when I was taking it back to return it, I, I got mugged. And therefore, the, the uh, rental shop tried to charge me to replace the coffee, <laughs> having had a young child been mugged and had it stolen. Uh, to be fair, I do remember vaguely... Like, there's always some cluster of, like, some fan base somewhere saying, oh, you ripped off what I did, bro. Right. Um, but it's like Wolfenstein to Doom, isn't it? You know, one one more look similar. Person. Yeah. But doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make a massive dent. Uh, and I think it's a case of the concept may have been there in Alone in the Dark, but it was still in its infancy. And while it, some would argue it wasn't perfectly honed in the original Resident Evil, it's leaps and bounds. Leaps and bounds. Uh, th- there are some really good aesthetic shots, and you know, because obviously the what's they call it Dutch angles—they're the 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 right. asymmetric angles cool. they use—some really good, like you know, general art and design. But the, the visuals themselves are very rough. Mm-hmm. But I do believe it's one of the earliest instances of voxels; um, they're, they're they're square pixels basically. I'm, I'm I'm incorrect in that in that statement, but something like that. <laughs> yeah. But generally, I- yeah, it was just seen as. Like, yeah, this is the game that came before and right, we're going to play the new hotness because sod this old and busted crap.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's how I sort of remember coming into it, to be honest. But just being very curious about the chatter about, oh, you know, they were, it took sort of inspiration from this. Um mm. James, did you have any experience with the earlier Alone in the Dark games at all? Um, No, the only games... <laughs>
4: The only games back then in the late '90s, the only games that I played that were similar were Silent Hill in '99 mm-hmm. and Parasite Eve. Right. Um, uh, for some reason, I didn't. I just didn't touch Resident Evil, 1. I thought I think it's because of the because um, uh, I was a spooky boy and I didn't want to be scared. Even though, like at that point, I'd watched all the aliens. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, weird you know. how it
0: works, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I was like. <laughs> But I
4: don't want to touch Resident Evil because I'm in the game. Whereas, yeah. like, you know, where whereas in Silent Hill, I didn't know what was going on. Right. I remember the the I remember the this is not Silent Hill broadcast, but like podcast, but I remember the radio going off and I was like, nope, okay, no turning that, putting that back. Nope, don't <laughs> want to touch that. Um yeah, in Parasite Evil the same when I got to the hotel. But yeah, I didn't I didn't have any experience with Alone in the Duck. I used enough. to see it on, on the shelves a lot though.
0: Mm do you like how I said we're going to talk about Resident Evil 1 and I just immediately went off (laughs) on this tangent? So, yeah, basically, I was... As I said, I I did play it at one point earlier um, in my Resident Evil fandom, just as a a curious thing. And, And I had much the same reaction that I did this week when I sort of just investigated on YouTube. It looked a little bit better than it did in my mind, to be honest, but it's still, yeah, it's... Hugely dated. But you can definitely see where Mikami got some of the ideas from. And it is very much just like looking at it and going, right, this doesn't work. And this is where you've tightened the screws in such and such a way. The comparison between that and 92, the original Alone in the Dark, and four years later, Resident Evil 6, um, you know, it makes Resident Evil look like a Ferrari. You know, the game looks, it runs like a damn dream compared to this really janky, very awkward, alone in the dark game, um, which obviously is true for the the remake of Resident Evil as well. That's probably a chat for another day. But you know, only six years before it was remade, it just showed how quickly the industry was changing at the time. And Resident Evil One was was part of that. It was like this was a brand new way to play a game and a brand new way to experience a story, um, which we'll get to definitely. But let's let's talk about the gameplay, the fixed camera angles. The tank controls, James's favourite, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and the time that it was released in, um, it was very much of its time, and yet it was breaking new ground all at once. Um, Steve, how do you feel about? And this is a bit of a big question. How do you feel about the gameplay of Resident Evil?
1: <laughs> how do you answer this without being like completely strangled by nostalgia? Right uh, this is this is a difficult question. I uh, I imagine I, this
0: whole episode is going to be like that so don't worry about it too much.
1: <laughs> I truthfully generally like have no qualms no no issues with it. But then again I am built in you know it's it's been 25 years of ingrained if, if any issues I did have have, have have since been like you know sandpapered off the edges. I mm. uh, I mean there's some like modern tweaks like for example the deadly silence port uh throws in, like, you know, a 180 turn and a built-in knife that I genuinely appreciate. But uh, it's fine and functional for a 25-year-old game. And I will say this. Out of the entire Capcom pantheon, I would argue, of a new franchise that is sent to ship, this is one of its strongest. Because, like, you know, if you play Street Fighter 1, that falls into a category of, get the bleep ready, sigh, into the category of, uh, how the sh- did this get a sequel? Like, hmm. Mega Man 1, no one talks about Mega Man 1. They talk about Mega Man 2. Uh, Dino Crisis, okay, maybe.
0: <laughs> mm, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I
1: mean, this is a loose analogy, but generally speaking, as a strong first outing for a new Capcom IP, I, yeah, the, the, the controls are weird. They're, they're anachronistic, but I can't say that they didn't click rapidly because, I mean, the, the 3D kind of motion to games at the time was very tank based anyway in like mm-hmm. mech warrior and stuff like that you know a virtue i think virtual on was a thing I-, I i'm trying to remember right. at the time but yeah. tank controls were very much the norm and even even my like my uh my pro gamer brother who's not really a pro gamer but swore he was at the time in 1996 handled it pretty well Like i, I don't know i i think it's just a case of it's been an, um built in and I'm meandering now, I apologise.
0: No, you actually brought me to a brilliant uh, thing that I wanted to bring up and I wasn't sure when the best time to do it, but we'll get there. But before we do that, I just wanted to point out, you're exactly right. Um, if you play this upon release and you're already a gamer, chances are you can have very little issue with the way that it controls. It was kind of a bit normal-ish, you know. It was definitely not out of out of nowhere to have tank controls. It wasn't unheard of at any means. you got to think as well, we're going from 2D into 3D early days. Um, so everything in 2D is very sort of locked to very particular directions. And 3D started off that way as well, which was okay because everyone was comfortable with it. You, you jump into, you know, way too fluid motion too quick, people are probably going to be put off by that. Um, what I will say is, um, if you're not a gamer necessarily, you might find it okay. So I uh, with the same with the RE4 podcast, I asked our Patreon supporters for their memories, their loves and dislikes about this game from the server. And I got some absolute bangers. This is, my, this is one of my favourite ones, definitely. And I didn't quite know sure when to bring it up, but it's the perfect time. And Nick Swain, one of our longest listeners, uh, said that in 1996 he was turning 18 and he'd never had a games console before in his life and he had little to no interest in them. He got his first serious girlfriend a job, uh, but his younger brother had his friend over for a sleepover one night and they were about 9 or 10. And uh, the younger brother or, or the friend had brought the PlayStation and RE1 with them. And they played it to about 9 or 10 p.m. And my mum was getting annoyed because they were screaming and scared because they were playing it. The infamous dog through the window jump scare was the one that made my mum send me in to see what was going on. I didn't believe that it was a kid's game. I didn't believe a kid's game could be so scary. So they hid under the duvet whilst I, whilst I played it. I was blown away, I had no idea games could have stories, characters, jump scares, etc. Next thing I know, they're asleep and it's 3am. I get to the next Friday, collect my wages, go and buy a PlayStation and the game. I played it to completion and loved it. I had been introduced to the world of gaming and survival horror, so... You know, an example there of someone who wasn't even really a gamer, and that's what sold it. And that's the other thing, again, we'll get there, was story with this game. It was just a neat package of absolutely everything. The gameplay was astounding at the time, and the story was something else completely. I'm going to start rambling now. So Sherwin, please, how do you feel about the gameplay of RE1 at the time? Now, does it stand up?
2: I love the way that you're like, I'm rambling, so let's give it to the guy. Who's clearly <laughs> it's your going, turn. Completely, it's completely, your turn. He's going to be blind slightly more than everybody uh, uh, than uh, by nostalgia? nostalgia. Um, I, I think that... Oh, yes. I definitely understand exactly where you're coming from. It's an extremely valid point about the tank controls. Um, Honestly, knowing the games around it at the time, yeah, you think of Tomb Raider, think of Alone in the Dark, think of um, Silent Hill, which yeah, Metal Gear, any of this stuff. Resident Evil, the the, obviously the OG Resident Evil we're talking about, felt much more responsive, much more intuitive than all of those games. Hmm. Um, think play, play the original Silent Hill, which came out after Resident Evil, and then try and play Resident Evil, and it just feels like you're running through mud. Yes. Um, it is something where, for all the tank controls may not necessarily to in today's generation of gamers feel the most intuitive thing, I don't know. I've ever picked up a game system and felt uh, such an immediate sense of um, just in, in, intuitiveness is the word I'm going to use again. But it's it's just an intuitive system. You just pick it up and it just rolls. The interface is perfect. Hmm. Um, you do you, you do feel like you have absolute control over your character, and yeah, that means you do a weird thing where you you know turn on the spot like a tank, or you run into a wall because you can't steer properly. I mean that's a user issue in terms of running into the wall versus <laughs> what the character is doing. But the mm. point is, is that it, it's something where Resident Evil has always felt something where you never find yourself in the situation where you're going, I don't know how to touch the buttons. Yeah, you know, like what what button is shoot again, or what right. yeah you know, what button is click on the yeah you know, is pick up the item, whatever else. The interface is really really sensible. Um, so I, I think from that perspective, I don't think there's anything um, you could really say too much about the controls. But I mean gameplay outside of that. I think Resident Evil really going back to the to the Alone in the Dark comparison, it did a lot of things. It's much like you know, it's it's kind of said you're making the change into 3D for the first time. You know, in terms of you know, obviously render backgrounds and so on, but it's still 3D. You can push things, you can climb up onto things, you can attack. You know, you can shoot things, whatever else. You can run around things in a way that you hadn't necessarily done before, and this is a system that does that quite effortlessly um mm. and let us not even remember like yeah you know, when you actually pick up the items and they're actual 3d renders you can turn around and look at which you know disappeared for the next few games it's um yeah the, the gameplay for resident evil really is something which i believe stands the test of time if nothing else is a real pioneer for a lot of other games
0: yeah 100 i mean it's it like the great thing about this show is you guys will say something i'm like man i didn't even think about that like just a pure example of just pushing stuff around. It's not a button push. You literally just walk into it and then you're pushing the statues and stuff like that. Just keeping it as simple and understandable as possible. Aiming as done by the shoulder button. For some reason, that just makes sense. And it, and it, you, you could never take that out of it. It would be absolutely illogical to do so. The only thing I will say, um, and Steve, you sort of mentioned about sort of quality of life stuff that have come since, is... The original release, um, and I played the Saturn version uh, in the last couple of weeks to prepare for this, just purely because I have it for the Saturn and I've never played it. So, um, and this is true of the Saturn version; it doesn't have auto aim, and that's something that we take for granted. I can tell you that much. Those hunters are a hell of a lot of scary when you can't auto aim them, but nonetheless, um, James. So you came to the series obviously much later than most of us, as most people will know. Your experience with Larry Ron, your first experience was watching it, Steve play it as part of a Let's Play. So. You already said that you played Silent Hill a little bit before, you know, in the late 90s and stuff like that. So when you actually saw Resident Evil fully moving, is it what you expected?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, I've spoken about this before, about Steve's wall surfing. Um, that he does. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I was, I, I, I want to make a, like, I'll I'll, I'll go back onto that point, but I want to talk quickly about kind of, because like, people may have a misconception about me with tank controls. Um, I played hundreds of hours of Tomb Raider. Right, which is like one of the most grueling tank control. Oh yes, (laughs) like in in, like and the thing is, I I think the problem, right? Because I still couldn't do it. I still didn't feel right in Silent Hill as well. I think that was because I'm I was used to over the shoulder. How you know how kind of Resident Evil one time was going to be, right? Mm -hmm. It's like over the shoulder kind of. I was used to that, and then so I couldn't get used to the fixed camera angle. Right, which is why I kept picking up these games and I was like, uh, oh, but with hindsight, if I just given it a chance, right, and went to Choices Videos, got Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2, um, this is not sponsored, they're not around anymore.
3: Uh,
4: <laughs> um, you know, I feel like I would have enjoyed it because I loved Tomb Raider for what it was and like uh, the tank controls, even though they really did hurt, like <laughs> keep replaying playing that game mm. for like. Six seven hours. It really did do your fingers in. Um, I really do feel like I could have I could have stuck with it and enjoyed that game and like joined you guys in your um, uh, in your excitement for it. But at the same time, I also feel like if I played these games, like I probably wouldn't like back then. I probably wouldn't know you guys as well, right? Like I like because the reason I am here is because I'm new blood to the series right? And it's just, I mean, that's not all I'm here for. That's all I am, guys! But, no, um...
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, um, the reason you're here is because you're a valued part of the team, but if you want to... <laughs> <laughs> um... But, yeah, so it's, yeah, I, uh, watching Steve
4: play Resident Evil, I've said it before, is, like, watching someone, and he's gonna go, boo! But it's like watching somebody who uh, masterclass uh, in a game, right? Yeah. Because I know how hard that game is. Like, I I tried to play a little bit of it, right? And I couldn't, right? And then I watched Steve complete Resident Evil 1 Director's Cut, like, in like six, you know, with me being a kid in the back, sorry, beeping, right? But with me being an idiot in the back, um, you know, he completes it in like four or five hours, you know, um, or even quicker. And, uh, yeah, it just boggles my mind that he can do that. Right, And he just has everything down pat. And I have the greatest respect for anybody who can do that. Um, And, yeah, I do do feel like I could have, to repeat myself, I do feel like I could have played it back in the day. Um, But I just didn't give it a chance because I've been introduced to other games that were just solely different, Mm -hmm. like completely different um, in their perspective. Um, And, like, you know, back in the day, guys, like... You'd only allow yourself when you're a kid. You only, you know, you only have a certain amount of money, so you only allow yourself like right. maybe one one game every six months if you're lucky, you know. And you'd play that game for like eight nine months. You
0: know? Exactly. So you had to guarantee you were buying something that you truly wanted. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I could pay to get that. That's why
4: we rent. <laughs> exactly. I, I rented a lot. I rented a lot back then. Um, in fact, I gave so much of my uh, paperboy money to hmm. the, to Choices Videos, right? That I could have just bought the freaking game. You know, <laughs> um, it was just ridiculous. I one particular, just shortly, one particular game was Siphon Filter. Played that so much, I kept on renting it out and playing it um, until, like, eventually, my mum turned to me and she said, "James, you spent like fifty pounds in this game."
0: You could have just bought the game. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know, but <laughs> you're in it now. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. My experience with RE One started with with rental. I said that before, you know, because I had two, and I was curious again where where it started. Curious to look back, and I struggled with it a little bit because we're talking about the passage of time and gaming changing so fast compared to two and three and stuff like that. Um, this game felt. I'm a little bit more obtuse, a little bit harder to get into. The atmosphere is a little bit less than further games, and that's not a problem at all. It's just how, how it goes. So I get that. Um, in terms of running it over and over again until you know it every inside and out, that's part of the appeal, of course. But I've got some fantastic stories. Uh, Mr. KDB, podcast host, video editor extraordinaire. Uh, said RE1 was unique and special as it was the first ever game to truly scare me I would actively avoid going certain routes so I knew there'd be a zombie encounter it was also affecting it was also the first time I really felt like I needed to use my brain beyond regular capacity solving puzzles would involve making notes even drawing little maps to make sure that I didn't get lost I absolutely love that and completely relate to that feeling as well of just unfolding this unknown location that was the Spencer Mansion um, at the time. Um, how do we feel about the setting? Then I suppose of the mansion. It's now it almost feels up like a bit on the nose. It's always a haunted house essentially. <laughs> you boil it right down to its purest form. Um, but it, see, it, to me, it seems like the most logical place to start a horror story. That what else could you have done? And it gives them so much space to explore other avenues and get bigger and bigger from there. Um, Sherwin, what was your reaction to the mansion? How do you feel about the mansion um, today? I was
2: pretty pretty excited when I first saw it because that's when I realised the whole game wasn't going to be in black and white. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Pretty cool. No, but in all seriousness. um, No, I, I, I... Do you know... Resident Evil, the original Resident Evil is really something special in the sense that even though it doesn't have that, if you think about um, pretty much RE2 onwards, hmm. uh, you have this tremendous use of lighting that goes on. When you're running through, you are dying from oasis of light to oasis of light. Hmm. If you're in the dark areas, you feel scared. You know, there could be something waiting for you in there. Like Everything is built around kind of organic lighting and yeah, you have kind of, you know, when you have later games in the series, flickering lights or you know, stuff that isn't static. You have these ideas of kind of um camera angle sort of inform things and so on. Yeah, you, know, you there's always subtle tells and these subtle nods that kind of play on your conscience uh, or sorry, on your conscious sort of unconscious thoughts about how mm. how danger is perceived or whatever else. RE one doesn't really have that down whatsoever. Um it, it's very much kind of this is the this is it. Everywhere is extremely well lit. Everywhere is bright and so on. There are a few places where there's sort of lighting, um, which, kind of fits, which kind of fits. But even despite that fact, it still has this incredibly eerie sense to it. it. still has this sense of whether you're in a huge open room and there's nothing else going on and you feel slight discomfort because, again, you're in a big open space and that somehow feels quite overwhelming. Whether you're in tight corridors and you're running around and it feels sort of urgent that way. Hmm. whether you're just, you know, it's just an eerie background, whether it's kind of um, bleak if you're sort of downstairs in the labs or whatever, the whole thing has its definite theme and style to it. And in a a time when, you know, games didn't have that much thought put into their backgrounds and so on, it really does jump out. In terms of like the cliche of, of like an old sort of horror movie sort of mansion or whatever, I think the big thing about it was is that at the time, Resident Evil, when Resident Evil really landed, zombies were that thing you didn't touch. They, they weren't really anything anyone talked about because zombies at that point were kind of this sort of sticky, hooky thing that came out right. of, like the, of the 80s, of the mm. 70s and 80s, kind of really bad Italian movies. Because um, that that's kind of just what they were. Mm. Resident Evil is part of the reason why we all talk about things, zombies being cool or zombies being overused or whatever. It was the thing that took zombies and went, actually, these couldn't be things that exist on the map. Um, and it really carried on and ran with that so at the time it wasn't as cliche as what you think it is now sure yeah yeah that makes Um, sense yeah so it's it's yeah and it obviously weaved in this this narrative of what you know almost like um you know what happened to the stars team and so on into that as well so
0: yeah fair point definitely um in terms of the visuals it's it's funny because Referencing Alone in the Dark again. I didn't really anticipate this to keep happening, but um, you know, I can look at it and say this is quite interesting. But uh, it, at the time when I played it the first time, and, and now it's kind of the question is can this really be considered scary at, you know, at this point? And, and how could this be considered scary? Even I was difficult to imagine upon release this could be considered scary. Um, RE1 compared to later entries, obviously, you see you know the, the bright green pea soup walls and stuff like that it's as you say it's very brightly lit but in isolation not comparing it to anything i still think it's got plenty of atmosphere in its location um steve how do you feel about the spencer mansion
1: uh is it too much of a on the nose and a bit of a cheat to just say it's an iconic landmark now i think we, we all know that part mm-hmm. i um, i genuinely think it's one of my uh, favorite video game locations because it's almost like a constantly expanding zelda dungeon with an element of almost open worldness you don't get in many resident evil games afterwards you know the, the the way you can actually build a mental map even you know once you beat the game a few times you build a mental map of that mansion you can zig and zag around it but right. your first time for a, you're like you're having to probe different corners and figure a path and yeah it's like Sherwood says, it, it, it may be overly well lit. They, they may have like the best like, light bulbs in the business, What with them being unattended for a God knows how many months, you know, but it's creepy, but intricately well designed. Like, I always see it as much like in RE7, that aped it, the, the, it's got like a several act structure in how the game plays. And and oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the, um, the location themselves play a big part in that. And the fact they have to, zigzag and find new different routes after like for example you go through the guardhouse uh, or the residence whatever you want to call it and you've you've busted plant 42 and then you have to go back into the mansion and now figure out a new route with new enemies and new foils to like you know get in the way exactly mm. pretty stunning at the time but i don't think backtracking was that big of a thing like you had super metroid sure uh you know castlevania 2 i guess mm-hmm. Yeah, but the the whole interconnected map where you can crack different mysteries and go around finding keys, it's, you know, it's a timeless process now, but at the time it was mind-blowing.
0: Yeah, I imagine getting that key and thinking, aha, I can go back in the mansion and unlock all those doors once you've got the the key for beating Plant 42. Must have been a huge revelation, you know, But, but I'm in a new area and all these doors are still locked in the mansion. Oh, no, I can go back now, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think I've talked about how me and my brother rented this and played before, but I distinctly remember the second that we picked up the helmet key, they were going uh, and just basically swearing the house down going, that's where the goddamn beep, beep, (laughs) beepity-beep thing's been this entire time. Exactly. let's go back to the mansion. And then Wesker obviously reappears and affirms us to go in that way, so we know Mm -hmm. we're going the right way. But I tell you what, it's just when you're cracking the mysteries like that for the first time in a location, it's fantastic.
0: Yes, absolutely. You hit on something that I love about this game. Uh, I think this game does it probably better than any other game in the series. It's, yeah, just keeping you on your toes. You know, you know you've know you progressed, not just because you can unlock new rooms and because you've got new weapons, but you can divide this game essentially into levels. Like you said, you, the opening bit where you've got zombies and dogs and you get kind of used to that, and then you've got to fight a giant snake... Then you go to the residence and there's a giant plant, there's giant sharks. Then you come back to the mansion and you think you're you know, used to this location. And there are hunters everywhere that can take your head off in a single swing. Then after that you get a giant spider in the caves and then you're in the lab with these monsters that crawl along the ceiling and just absolutely just keeps you... I don't know, it just keeps you fearful, I guess. It's, it's, a, it's a horror game through and through, even though obviously there is aspects of action. And with later Resident Evils, once you're tooled up, eh, it's less of a concern when you've got, you know, 70 shotgun shells. But with Resident Evil 1, it always does feel like, and maybe it's just the, the viciousness of Hunters in particular, but it does always feel like, yeah, but you're, you're still a little bit outmatched. There's still something unexpected around that corner. Um, And it's fantastic for keeping you on your toes. In terms of atmosphere and also fantastic things about the gameplay, um, N7 Lionheart said as a kid, his favourite things would have been the zombies and monsters, but as an adult, he says that the ingenuity of the game, hiding load times behind doors, uh, the backgrounds being not really much more than 2D images that your 3D character walks around on. um, And yeah, just the atmosphere was great for the mid-90s.
1: I think if there's only one place in re1 that is weak it's the sewers really e- even the gardens are like sure. pretty interesting to say how small they are but i think the only thing that feels somewhat generic is and this is credit to the game really like you know the areas with concrete stone labs are more compelling than the underground <laughs> moss green caves <laughs> um, with the toad men and the giant boulders uh, you yeah, know that, that that feels like almost your arbitrary sewer level that's the out of all the locations in the game Mm-hmm. The only one that I think, if, if, you know, heaven forbid, you know, I know somewhere Star's Tyrant is shaking his hand at the Sky, but if we do get a remake of RE1, the sewers need another revision, I, I think, even even in a, the remake's take. Maybe yeah. that's just my bias against sewers, though.
0: I mean, that's fair. Sewer levels are pretty rubbish. But, I mean, maybe they were aware of that. As I said, I played the Saturn version, and the big change there is that the, those caves get their, their own individual unique enemy it is essentially just a reskinned hunter. The tick—they um, make new sound effects. That was quite interesting. I, I felt very threatened just because it was some—it was unknown to me. Uh, Don't make, they
1: like they, the one of the cruelest kill animations as well? Like they pop your heart out and then take your head off.
0: Yes, exactly. I was going to say they have at least one unique animation which I experienced firsthand the first time I came across one. Didn't even know it was coming. They'll basically stab you through and then while you can't move. Slice your head off. is brutal It's uh, and brilliant. And also, I don't know if this is a thing with hunters. I don't know if you guys can confirm this or not. I don't know if you can see blood on their claws or anything after they've swiped at you. But with these tick things, they've got, like, essentially serrated arms. They look like Scyther from Pokemon, basically. And if one of them swipes at you with a particular limb, that limb goes red on the creature where it's got your blood on it, which I thought, that's pretty cool, actually. So... What I'm essentially saying is if we do get another remake of this game, bring back ticks. <laughs> Make them canon. Why not?
1: Hashtag bring back ticks. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say there probably is uh, an element of like texture remapping because, for example, when you fire a flame grenade at a zombie, it fully remaps to be in charcoal, black, oh, or true. acid, goes green. Cool. So I'd imagine if they uh, hit you, no, there's probably <laughs> a similar trigger.
2: There is. Uh, confirm that. Fair enough. Cool. There is on Hunters when they hit you.
0: Okay, I wasn't sure, but with the ticks, it's much, much more obvious because there's a, a lot more there in terms of of claw slash arm, blade, or whatever it is. Um, James, to round it out, what do you think of The Mansion? Uh, I love
4: The Mansion. Uh, it's I think there was a telling of, of games of that time. Um, the We'll talk about it more about it later, but the atmosphere um, that Resident Evil managed to put down, even in Brightly Lit, You know, uh, Mm. corridors and stuff, Um, and it was because of that fixed camera angle. It was because you were like locked into this particular POV, but it wasn't so immersion breaking. Right, that you you know, you were completely taken out the game. It was good enough, Mm. and yeah, like uh, watching even like a a game that came out all that you know, twenty five years ago. uh, When I was watching Steve, those times it really got me. Like many times, like I think I think like the most memorable well, I mean there's many, but I think um the crows <laughs> like <laughs> like got me really, really good. Um yeah. out on the uh the, the boardwalk or the balcony or whatever yeah. it was. Um was it with Forest?
0: Yeah, Forest? Yeah Yeah.
4: Um yeah, it <laughs> really got me. Um Marvel. and the dogs as well. God, why are dogs so hard in computer games? Like this <laughs> That's so and they're so scary as well because they're so fast um yeah, and I, I also because you know obviously I didn't play it back then, I just want to draw it towards other kind of um games that I played back then that had a similar feel hmm. because of what they what they brought to the table um and if you guys uh, I don't know if you guys have played I'm gonna bring Tomb Raider up again because Tomb Raider you wouldn't think is our horror game, but when you first saw that T-rex, oh yeah right? That, like, your screen shook, because you, you had no way going out, right? It's kind of similar to Resident Evil. You get to a point, and you couldn't go back out. Like, you had to face this thing. You go down a slope, you'd have to, like, there's this huge area. All you'd see, like, about 50, 60 feet ahead of you is a blackness, and it's kind of like the fixed camera angle. It's fixing hmm. you, your eyes on this point, and your camera shakes and shakes, and you get a boom, boom, boom. Da-da-da-da-da. You know, and then the music starts up, and it's like very similar to Resident Evil. And then this freaking T-Rex head comes out of that blackness and starts to chase after you. And you're like, what? I meant to fight this thing with two pistols. Yeah. Yeah. Then, like Resident Evil is the same thing. Every time there's a big kind of upgrade, it's like, oh crap. And, you know, you know, play it the first time. Most, of, you know, most often you're probably going to die to a hunter or mm-hmm. you're going to die to yawn, um, or whatever. And it's, uh, it's that experience and it's those memories you can tell like to and, and, and feel them with other people. Because, yeah, got that, that T-Rex is still, that T-Rex scene still sits with me now. Um, yes, as well as like kind of the scenes through playing, uh, watching Steve play the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, you know, even in 2017, 2018, Steve, I think we played it. Like I, I was Two still- million years ago. <laughs> I, I was still very, 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 very spooked because of how well they use atmosphere in that game.
0: That's great, actually, because I was going to ask about how you felt about the atmosphere as coming to come into it much later than we did. Um, I mean,
4: you and, know, there were there were clearly some things I couldn't take seriously, of course. Um, right. And there was there was like, I remember the first time you see a dog. Like, I remember Steve, you know, because bless him, he's he he knows I love to be spooked. So, like, there was a bit right at the beginning where the where the um, the Cerberus kind of jumps at the door and you have to lock it and then you're locked in. Yes, there's that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. You can't go back out there. You're gonna have to fight your way out. Um, yeah. When I first seen that, I was like, <laughs> Yeah, that's. It that looks a little bit silly on upscale. and like without right, the. Right. <laughs> of
0: course. I mean, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> but then, but that was because you know I just come into it. Um, you know, in this day and age, but there's other stuff that still stands up. A hallway zombie. The crows, of course, yawn, yeah, like all these like great great monsters and they yeah, they they yeah they still hold up now. They still hold up.
0: And now reading the file Plant 42 Report from Resident Evil nineteen ninety-six, Eastern Lions. You can find at Easterlions.boomla.net
3: Four days have passed since the accident, and the plant at point 42 is growing amazingly fast. It has been affected by the T-virus differently than other plants have been, and shows unique shape in addition to its size. Looking at the way it behaves, it is now difficult to determine what kind of plant it was originally. There are two ways in which plant 42 gathers nutrition. The first is through its root that reaches into the basement. Immediately after the accident, a scientist went mad and broke the water tank in the basement. Now the basement is filled with water. It is easily imaginable that some chemical elements were blended in the water and promotes the incredibly fast growth of Plant 42. Another part of Plant 42 from the basement grows through the duct and hangs down like so many bulbs from the ceiling of the first floor. Many vines come out of those bulbs and they are the second resource for its nutrition. Once sensing movement, Plant 42 shoots its vines around the prey and holds it. Then it starts sucking up blood, using the suckers located at the back of its vine. It also has some intelligence. It blocks the door by twining its vines around it, especially when it captures prey or is sleeping. Several staff members have already fallen victim to this. May 21st, 1998. Henry Sarton.
0: The thing about the atmosphere is, while it might be lacking compared to some of the other games, is that I find RE1 now, and, and always have, really, it, it's just so charming. Something about it is so charming, and that's kind of why it was like, you know, it's nostalgia, right? But, James, even just thinking about your playthrough and your reaction to the playthrough, I'm, I'm assuming you're in the same camp. RE1 is charming, right? We're not just oh, nostalgic. Yeah, no. For sure, like I
4: mean, I in my notes I did put, you know, there is a there is an element of nostalgia and atmosphere, right? But nostalgia is not a bad thing to have, hmm. right? Like, you know, I'll always have nostalgia for like Tomb Raider, right, and uh, what it gave and stuff, and like, but there's still it's still the elements are still there. For someone who's completely new to the series like I am, I came into the game and I was still spooked. I was still interested. Why was this happening? Mm-hmm. You know, what? what is going on here? Okay, so there's zombies and we've all heard of zombies after Resident Evil and it's a very, you know, it's been done a lot of times. Um, but why was this happening? And, then, you know, Steve is telling me that is a story and you know me, I love a freaking story. So it's I'm true. like... <laughs> so I'm like whoa what's going on here and at the same time there's spooky stuff and then we go to a freaking lab and sewers and I'm like what I thought we were just going to a house <laughs> I thought we were- is just a spooky house story you know um yeah it's it just why I was so kind of upbeat through the entire playthrough because it was constantly kind of shifting my expectations hmm. um throughout uh watching Steve play it and again we'll talk about remake but when I played Remake again. like It it does it again, you know, with a fresh take.
0: Uh, Dimitri, one of our Patreons, said, In terms of my memories with the original RE, my first real experience with the game was through Let's Plays and Walkthroughs in the early days of YouTube. Back then I was just a growing boy, so I had quite a fear of zombies and the like, but alongside Left 4 Dead and Call of Duty World War Nazi Zombies, this helped turn that fear into a fascination. Um, we're talking about visuals a bit now as I say and the, and the, and the charm of it so showing how charming is RE1
2: it's incredibly endearing and you're not going to get anything other than an insane amount of nostalgia from me on this one um, <laughs> it's I, I think RE1 for me is it's so wonderfully reminiscent of that time of games when it's all about raw ideas it, it's that it's that magical part of time when video games started being a bit more than kind of Mario or like a 2d scroller of, yeah, which pick your choice and started to feel a little bit more like you were actually starting to enter into its own world, its own kind of biome or its own sphere or whatever else. Resident evil felt like you were actually running around a mansion. Yeah. If if you think of other kind of games and I'll, you know, I'll stick with Capcom for the sake of doing it. Think about playing something like, I don't know, final fight or, you know, mario or whatever else you feel like you're a character walking around on a backdrop resident evil by comparison you actually you're actually in a world you're interacting Mm -hmm. with that world you're pushing stuff you're picking things up you're looking at them um it feels very self-contained it feels like you're basically taking a step in and so much of and i think this is one of the reasons why the backgrounds don't necessarily matter too much um i could have said that in a little bit less of an essex accent but never mind (laughs) um (laughs) they don't matter too much in terms of um, you know, kind of being very brightly lit or whatever else, because it's the raw ideas that's what you know people remember. It's the raw ideas that people key off of. It's the camera angles. It's the sense of fear that you have. It's the resource management that you're running around with. Um, it's it's this incredibly endearing experience as a result of that, because it really takes all of those elements and makes them their own, and makes it into a much more evocative property than the raw assets, if that makes sense. And I think that's why yes. that's yeah. why Resident Evil for, is, is something which has such an incredible legacy. That's why this game is the one that hundred percent, all of us, yeah, you know, every, every single one of the people listening to this podcast, everybody on this podcast will say, "I would probably, I guarantee, would say I would rather play a Resident Evil remake than I would play Resident Evil One." But at the same time, that's a difficult decision, even though remake is leaps and bounds ahead of this game in every conceivable way. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible release. It is something which I think because of that um because of that endearingness, because it's the you know, it's the origin of it all, because it is something which just strikes and hits yeah you know, home run on just about every capacity, you know, at every sort of angle it has or every kind of facet of it, I think that's what makes it so endearing. That's what gives it its big landing spot.
0: Yes. Um, you know. It's, it does it does exist. They can both exist in their own sort of separate pockets, Remake and RE1, in terms of what you are looking to get out of them on that particular day. And that's why, you know, as I'm sure with many people, if you're listing your top five or whatever RE games, personally speaking, I can have both Remake and RE1 in there us see why you can't do that. And, and they both are top games, despite being the same story and you know in practice essentially the same location just with tweaks here and there but they do occupy their own spaces and as much as every loves Resident Evil 2 for example as a sequel sequels are often about just how can we build off from this uh and make this better but with this just this you can feel the spark of RE1 of creating something new. Just as we opened with, oh, you know, they were talking about making a first-person game, but then it went in this direction. You know, we've seen the concept art for the characters that didn't make it and the ideas that didn't make it into the game. Even just simple stuff like files that didn't make it into the game, but were later included in supplemental stuff and then the remake. And just, yeah, that excitement about, oh, we can do this. Oh, we can add this. And RE1's got loads of stuff like that, especially at the time that, no game had necessarily tried to do before. Like the live action cutscenes to open it up and close the game out, just, again, just stand on their own in the sense that not many other games were trying it, continued to try it. RE never really went back to it. Choji Akamichi and the server said the biggest thing that he enjoys is the live-action sequences, in particular the endings. The actors are able to portray really well that the characters are completely haunted by the events of the previous night. Which is nice to hear because you can quite easily poke fun at stuff like the opening, the live-action stuff. But it is... And he wasn't the only person as well to say that he doesn't necessarily understand the hate for him, basically. there There is something to get from that, even if it is just something like charm. Speaking of which, Steve... It's your turn. How charming is RE1?
1: This is a game that came out in an era and was so oddly ahead of its time. Like, fully voiced characters, FMV video, you know, even a full dynamic score for all these things. These were all fairly, like, new things coming in at the time. Like, I can only think of a handful of, like, FMV games on the PC. You had stuff like Soviet Strike. It was... It was generally pretty niche and to come out swinging with that. And then obviously fully voiced characters, that's charming in itself. And then you've obviously got a fully realized and honestly a bit campy and silly at times environment with the dialogue as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's robust, uh, it's, it's strange how it can walk that line between the absurd and the serious. Like it's a game where I can find moments to laugh and then still have like n- even knee jerk terror now from mm-hmm. like Hunters. Yeah. So it's 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 an odd it's an odd mix, really. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, 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 you know, you read reviews from the time, and it says similar things. Where it's like, even then, they were like, "Yeah, the the voiceover is a bit hokey and kind of silly." But it's also still a really scary game. That's what people were saying in '96. So why not now?
1: Yeah. I mean, voiceover until then, like it was pretty much the same. It was, you know people not necessarily like, you know, given the best voice direction in the first place. Mm. So, I mean, we've seen how that can get with us like a, a, a should we say, tighter vo- vocal reading with the remake and stuff so that the script was mostly intact, obviously they, they change a few things around. There's no, like, for example, direct quotes of Jill sandwich. It's mm. now you would fit nicely into a sandwich, but it, it was breaking new ground and, you know, a couple a with the fact that like, I I can still remember those uh, days after my brother rented it where I I wouldn't like going downstairs. Like we had a stairwell in my old house that literally looked not too dissimilar from the stairwell that the zombie descends to in the sewer, in the, um, the Uh, mansion basement. Yeah. And I could mentally resonate and picture that image to take that and then also turn around and laugh about someone the like, you know, we got to the root of the problem, (laughs) you know, it's, it is charming and also terrifying.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel love like I'm
1: meandering around a point, but it's... no,
0: no. I love that because you're right. Like, if you look at that experience and think, "Oh, that make, you know gives you the chill," because it reminds you of that zombie coming down the stairs. But I can say <laughs> now for everybody listening, this game is the reason why sometimes you'll look at stairs where you're walking down them, and you'll picture yourself in a Resident Evil game. So <laughs> uh, everyone's this, done this it. Game
2: this game is the reason why I always walk two steps up every single set of stairs I've ever walked up since 96. <laughs> every single set of stairs I take two at a time. Um, exactly. A side note, just so don't don't you dare forget Crazy Ivan. Oh, yeah. Or uh, those, those magnificent um, FMVs you're talking about. I mean, Command & Conquer. You know, right. it's, it's my baby. But
0: I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Space! Anyway... <laughs> But yeah, so let's I guess let's talk about the voiceover while we're here, talking about charm, talking about aesthetic and stuff like that. Um I'm sure we can all pick out particular favourite lines and, and why you think that came to be. In my particular playthrough this time around, not necessarily to talk about the lines, but this was just an example of one of the the little things this game does that you don't really notice, because it just does them and you're like, yeah, that fits. But in the stone sort of corridor, right at the end of the game, before you go up the lift to face the tyrant for the last time, you're in this big echoing stone chamber. So all the voice lines have an echo to them, which seems like the done thing, but very easily someone could have just not thought about that. But it's just stuff like that that brings so much, and there's lots of that in in the audio department of the game in general. Um, James... How you feel about the voice acting at this point? It um, we, we, you know, we're all in team charm. So. <laughs> um Yeah. Like I, I agree. Like
4: uh, Luigi just said, it was the voice acting before voice acting became cool. Like, <clears throat> I mean, they were just like kind of grabbing people and saying, Hey, do this. And, you know, uh, these people have, you know, that have, that did these voices other than kind of, you know, like Joe White, etc. cetera. That a lot of them is just kind of, gone away and like it's that's that's really really sad I think but at the same time it's it's also um like it's kind of letting in a new opening the gate for a new like yeah talent and stuff but the voice acting is like to this to this to today's age like to today's standard is not uh top notch but again it has that charm like my favorite line <laughs> in this entire game is uh, it's Richard, right? Who gets bitten by the snake? Yeah. And he's like, ouch. It's just so, <laughs> it's so funny. But at the same time, it's so charming. And the game is cheesy, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it makes sense for that. Um, <laughs> exactly, Nick. Yeah, Nick's uh, yeah, repeating what I say. But uh, yeah, it's, um, I love all the characters. You know, Jill, I, I think, if I was going to choose my least favorite character in terms of voice acting, and I know not many people are going to like this, but I think Jill, um, because it, it felt a little bit flat for me, whereas everybody else had a little bit more zest. Um, right. But it's, <laughs> but at the same time, I still love Jill. You know, she has some cool lines, right? But I mean, Barry is awesome. Of course, mm-hmm. Rebecca right, is just my queen, so she can't do any wrong. And like <laughs> Chris as well with his cheesy lines. Uh, I love, I love, I love all the lines in this film, but my favorite line is, is Richard after he gets bitten by Yorn.
0: Ouch. Ah, ouch. It, it goes to show that even just little things like that are so quotable. Just, it's just one word. Yeah. It's just one word. Exactly. You know, everyone loves Barry's. Um, oh my God. You know, and stuff like that. <laughs> well, I, I was, I was <laughs> yeah. I was
2: going to say this, this question could have been more succinct if we'd said, Hi, everybody. What is your favorite Barry moment and why? <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. I've already said mine before, but I'll say it again. My favorite is after the Plant 42 fight, to be honest. You know, where he just like seems to just keep cutting himself off. It's, it's just like I'd never understand it, but I'll repeat it every time I play through the game. I can't believe, what the hell is this place anyway, and all that. (laughs) Which is incredible. What the hell?
2: Yeah, bless you, Barry.
0: Uh, Sherwin, your thoughts on the voiceover then?
2: So my favourite Barry moment um, has to be (laughs) very early
0: on,
2: which is a dining room. I love that line. There's (laughs) something about it where he just walks in... And feels the need to announce it to everybody. No, no concept of stealth whatsoever. Walks into a big, huge room. It's a, a dining room. Everyone's like, how does that help us, Barry? <laughs> how, how, how does that help us in any way, shape, or form? Uh, and then obviously, it's, to, it's
4: verbal storytelling. It's, yeah.
2: you know. that's, the, that's the point, obviously, where he decides he then wants to yeah, start licking people's blood and stuff. <laughs> um, right, yeah. uh, the voice acting is is challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, to say the least. It is something where it suffers from a real lack of sophistication, which just obviously was at the time because we didn't have that. You know, in terms of the actual scripts and so on, I very much imagine that someone, you know, took the original Japanese script, just translated it directly, then gave it to a bunch of actors with zero level of um zero level of localization or anything. And I imagine and from what you know I've read, most of these actors are people that are like, hey, you look like you could do the job let's just take you to a forest in the middle of nowhere and film for one night kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure they necessarily had the most talented bunch of people. Yeah, no offense to anybody involved, but had the most talented bunch of people or people in the position to say, hey, how about we mix around these lines a little bit and make it sound a bit cooler? So, but that said, I mean, my only real... I don't notice it. I never really... It never bothered me when I first played it. It was never something where I kind of got dragged out of the immersion of the entire game. Because to be quite honest, I just completely and totally fallen in love with it. So mm-hmm. yeah. literally, it could have just—it could have had the clowns making the fighting noises in the basement, and I wouldn't have cared. <laughs> but I will say, for for outsiders, it's really jarring, and I think that's where a lot of the uh, reputation comes from because people who never played that game way back in the day—I remember yeah. for the SFG sculpting team, I played them uh, the intro from the hall for uh for jill's intro and one of the guys was like right but what this isn't the actual audio i'm like no no it really is um <laughs> it's 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 that where they're just kind of too busy laughing at it because it's so ridiculous but um but yeah i i i, I don't really have any issue with it i it's worth pointing out as much as we joke at uh, laugh at it and as much as we all kind of do it so much of the nostalgia built into it is built around the voice acting. Oh, yeah. And so many yeah. of the classic lines in the actual series, you have Master of Unlocking, Jill Sandwich, I have this, and so on. That stuff actually has endured beyond into other games. 100%. This is stuff which mm. and 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 as much as you might say there's well, to use your words, there's some absolute bangers in there. Um, even though there is a lot of stuff which you'd rather forget about. Mm-hmm. you know, I'll stay here and look at the soldiers' area or whatever, that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Lots of really funky stuff. But yeah, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, we, we'll talk about Legacy at the end, but I think some of this games' Legacy is obviously just the voice acting. There are lots of people who have never played this game um, of all ages, but especially sort of younger gamers now, like if they're curious about RE1 probably not going to play it but what they will experience if they ask someone about it or they look it up is compilations of some of the best lines and that's exactly what you're saying about how those things have endured perhaps more than anything else not just in the series but just sort of um part and parcel with gaming history uh steve what's your favorite barry moment
1: oh wow like (laughs) i mean Part of me thinks, to just just to tick the box, someone's got to mention Jill Sandwich. But I have two. I'm greedy. So, you know, I, one is, like, well, you know, oh, I'm all right. Uh, I think I'll go get some fresh air and be eaten by a monster. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I also have a soft spot for, you know, it's a weapon. It's really powerful, especially against living things, to which you obviously first-time player eyeing up his magnum. Uh, and then he gives you ammo for a gun you may not have yet. Right. Uh, cheers, Baza. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ta. Right. That's the inventory you filled up your buggy.
0: Yeah, I don't think he understands what the word weapon is, but go on. <laughs> no! <laughs> 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 it's just... Oh,
1: man. Uh, like, that-, that man is a card. I-, I-, I actually honestly think if someone could find a way to lightning in a bottle this and and get the right level of unsophistication for vocal <laughs> delivery and put it into a modern Because you can't you can't fake bad voice acting or, you know, should we say poorly right. directed voice acting that is somehow so bad it's entertaining mm. and still can get its point across. Like, I don't think you can manufacture this level of, uh, I don't want to use the word quality, but unfortunately it's the only one that's going to f- suffice. Like, I would love to see an indie dev or someone make a horror game and their voice acting is on this level. Because it's, uh, it's magical. In its own whimsical and weird way. And this is pure nostalgia, I admit.
0: Right. No, I mean, you're totally you're totally right. It's almost kind of like... You take a, a film like Birdemic, which is in the pantheon of this is hilarious because it's so bad. They made a sequel. I only have to assume they kind of just tried to make it a little bit bad. And that's the difference. Whereas this is just... It is what it is.
1: Yeah. Uh, lightning in a bottle.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 the weird thing,
1: right, is that um, at least a few of these voice actors you still see crop up now and again. Well, in, in the era, like, for example, Richter Belmont is uh, the same voice actor for Chris. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the announcer for Soul Blade, and I believe Cervantes is uh, Barry's voice actor. So, uh, you know, it, I, I would like to go through that era of gaming, just that little bit more, and just try and find more of these snippets of uh, mm-hmm. modest vocal direction <laughs> it is uh, I, it, the only other th- the only games that come to mind for this kind of quality is like house of the dead
0: yes uh, you know, that's and, what i thought of yeah uh,
1: like goldman is on an entirely different planet to anyone on the resident evil cast my god like i could watch that man talk r- r- nonsense for days uh, Getting sidetracked here, but yeah, <laughs> everyone's voice actor's great, really good. Uh, Barry, like you know, love him. Uh, you know, all of them, fantastic. You know, Jill, you're here too. Yeah, it's right
0: in front of you, but um... <laughs> let's while we're talking about sound, let's talk about music. Uh, Sherwin, I'm going to throw to you first, just we can keep this somewhat more brief because we talked about the music for 45 minutes already. You and I. So, if people want to hear your particular highlights of the soundtrack. Uh, they can go and check that out on our YouTube. Now that's what I call survival horror. But if you could sum up the soundtrack for RE1, uh, please do go ahead.
2: <laughs> Groundbreaking.
0: Yes, I think that's that enough. if you need... Yeah, that's if, if,
2: if you want a more succinct way of it, this is the era where, due to the capabilities of systems uh, in terms of what you know machines could do at the time, in terms of how graphics of uh, locations looked, in terms of how character sprites looked, and everything else, um, they weren't quite there yet to be, you know, super super immersive. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, you know, they at the same time uh, you started having because you are on discs or whatever else, you started having larger amounts of storage to actually put on more expansive music than plinkety plink plunk plink. And at that point, uh, this is the golden era in my mind of video game soundtracks. If you think about music from you know the start of the PlayStation until you kind of got to I don't know sort of halfway or so through the PlayStation Two, when you start getting graphics to the point where people started looking at those as the focal point more mm. than some other stuff, this is this is really the sweet spot for it. Um, you're right. I will gush on and on and on about the soundtrack, so I'm not going to. But I will just say the Resident Evil soundtrack, to my mind, is groundbreaking and not even just genre defining, kind of era defining. To be honest, it's that big.
0: Excellent. Uh, What I will say is, not to spoil it or any particular uh, entries in the list, but having played the game once more following our uh, discussion, it really made me appreciate the tracks that I didn't before. All the classics that you think of still shine, but even the ones that I just didn't pay too much attention to have got a bit of uh, extra life to them.
4: I love I, I I touched on it earlier. Um, the reason why the game works so well and it worked so well back in the day mm. is because of the music and how well they use the sounds um 100%. in in the game. Like if like if you played that game on mute, the game wouldn't be half of what it is. That's how important audio is, right? To to like a, I mean it's important to games anyway, but to a horror game, so important. Mm. Um yeah, and like cause and that game, just like I was talking about Tomb Raider earlier, it uses music to prepare you as well um, for something that's coming up. Um, yeah, so I can't, I can't tell you what my favorite is um, because I am, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I have a really bad memory for music, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do appreciate music and I do appreciate audio and like everything in that game sounds good. Like for the time as well, like, yeah, like show and hit on earlier on, um, you know, the, the restrictions that you had, like nowadays it's like, yeah, we still have restrictions. Right. But, you know, I mean, sometimes game developers go a little bit too over the top when it comes to stuff and, you know, they make the file sizes way too freaking big because they didn't optimize well enough. And, you know, back in the day, um, if anyone remembers a, a little space game called elite, um, it was in a one megabyte, like, file. Like, it was on a floppy disk. Mm-hmm. Like, one megabyte they had to make that game into, right? And it was a full space game, right? So I really appreciate game development and, like, how much they can fit in. And that's why you have these, like, low-poly FMVs and low-poly, like, kind of figures, and the music isn't, like, uh, like the, the high quality that you hear nowadays, because mm-hmm. what they could... It's all they could put into these games, but it still sounds freaking good, and that's why it's 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 amazing. It's it's great. I love I love what they've done with the with the audio. I I can't really say much more to be
1: honest. So the soundtrack, I'm a big fan. Like uh, the later games, like pretty much all of them fall into some, somewhat more trappings of cinematic bombast, and this one's a lot more. I want to say horror focused. Like mm. every area has its own uniquely unsettling vibe. I, I think I've said before how narrow and close still makes me very uncomfortable, despite the fact when it plays, that track, not really much as a threat in the area. You've got like a handful of zombies, it's nothing. But that tune uh, has an, a uh, like a foreboding illness to it that always gets under my skin. And, of course, it was replaced with the iconic Farts in a Basement in the dual DualShock version, which, lest we forget, is a fantastic masterstroke in how not to do audio. <laughs> uh, but this is a game that's, like, got so many iconic tunes that even now, like, you still get the, the save room theme was called back to in, um, I believe it was, like, Lost in Nightmares and other yeah, yeah. stuff like that. You'll get the odd, like, little bits. And rightfully so, I think the uh, the standout pieces are the main bits when you're like going into like an area for the first time like the, the upper floor of the guardhouse, mm. the uh the second floor which is like you know I, I don't know the name of the tune but the one
0: yes
1: exactly <laughs> yeah you get what well, i'm saying and then um concrete bound in the lab that mm. they are bangers and you don't get that in the later games really not in the same way they're all a little bit more fancy mm. And due to its like low fineness and uh, intricacies, you know, uh, it's or lack of intricacies, I should say. I think that's what makes it so strong. Um, the only real downside is uh, they didn't put Still Dawn on Deadly Silence, and therefore I'm still got <laughs> a bit of bugbear over it. And you know, even that, like even the, like even stuff that stuff that's cheesy and meant to be over the top and cheesy, like the cast theme, you know, boo boo, it's yeah, bad! yeah, I love it. You know, it uh, I mean, this, this, this is coming from a person who at the time was like very hyped up on like Doom and Command and Conquer, so I was used to like you know, and big action things. So it's mm. yeah. Um, do I have a nostalgia bias for this? Probably. Is that going to change the fact that everything I've said is true?
0: No, <laughs> excellent. Well, you'll get no argument from me. Uh, so let's close out talking about the game specifically with the story, which we've mentioned a few times. is. Big part of this game, big part of what made it different to stuff that came before. It was, you know, one of those things that was happening in the industry, a more stronger focus on story, setting, depth in that direction. Um, Luigi from the server said, Resident Evil 1 will always be the game for me. I can't begin to tell you the great memories ...of my dad buying this game for me for my sixth birthday. Yes, I know. He would play the majority of the game and I would do the puzzles. I was hooked as I would sit there reading the inserts... ...and the biographies of all the characters. And the mutant Man also said, I wanted to know about Bravo Team. Who were they? How did they die? What would have happened if Joseph hadn't been taken out right away? These questions drove me to read the strategy guide front to back several times... ...and eventually find a new blood, which was one of the old school Resident Evil fan websites... Uh, which dominated my computer time for years and really thrust me into the fandom. <clears throat> in retrospect, it's crazy how easy it was to obsess over the Stars team, which is something that I also felt, playing again recently, is the feeling that you get about... And this is kind of almost of like a nod to our Silent Hill 2 podcast, the characters that you can't help. Um, finding Richard and Forrest, Kenneth and Enrico in various states of dying or dead already these people that were in the manual—you had all these character pro- biographies. They went to it that extent of being like, "Here's a bunch of characters. They're actually people. They're not just Soldier One, Two, and Three. They're actually people with heights and weights and blood types, and you know, one of them likes dancing and stuff like that." Um, and it was so fresh in the most worrying way that, oh, this is a team, but it's falling apart as I play through this game. Um showing, how do you feel about the setup Bravo team going missing and discovering your compatriots as you go? Did you find it very effective?
2: My compatriots in Bravo team. Um yeah, no, it's I think I think for me it's something where there, there's it much I remember you and I talking about uh trying to describe the feeling that we both had when we were talking about the rpd building <clears throat> and we were trying to think back in terms of the the sense of familiarity that we have when we think about that the the sort of you know the evocativeness of the location how we kind of immediately think of all the stories that are running around of the police officers trying to fight off zombies and so on and diary excerpts or other stuff i feel very much the same about the star story about who the stars characters are i mean, you. Honestly, you don't need to look any further than that um, image. that I, I think it's from around about RE3. I, I'm happy to be corrected on this, where there's a picture of like all of the stars standing on the helipad. Right? Yes, yeah. Um, just posing out. Just that one picture enough is enough to be immediately evocative of the story and the fate of all of the different stars members in this game. And I think that's the fact that that's so strongly resonant with me is probably a bold enough statement about how it is that I feel and how strong that element is. But the the true thing about the the Resident Evil story arc, what is so awesome about it, is if you think about most games that you play, it's something where you kind of are lined up for an objective. So I start off, and the first thing I do is I go, right, I need to go rescue the princess. She's in a castle, or whatever else. Mm -hmm. That doesn't ever change. Granted, there may be moving the goalposts or whatever else. Resident Evil literally just drops you and says, right, you're looking for Bravo team. Oh, wait, there's dogs. Okay, and now you're scared and you're running around. Well, why are there zombies in this building? At this mm. point, I'm not even caring about Bravo team. I just need to live. Mm. You know What's happening next? Running around. As you're running around, hey, I found this random thing that tells me there's something happened with a diary. Does that help me know why there's zombies? No, but something bad happened here. Keep walking around, kind of, you know, oh, thank you. Good against living things. Awesome. Good to know you're still alive, Barry. Check out various different stuff. Anyone seen Wesco? Nope. well, well. That sort of stuff. Basically, yeah. as you go on, the whole thing evolves. It's incredibly engaging. It's incredible. It drives you forward. It breadcrumbs you so succinctly, so brilliantly through. But what's and we'll come back to this a little bit, but I think the, the perhaps I'll do it now that the strength of the strength of Resident Evil that became that came into being with this game, if anything else, the one that I think people don't always recognize, but as soon as you say it, people go. Oh, yeah. Which is that if you think about most games that you play, you kind of play it through for the experience, and then once you finish it, you're like, awesome. And then when you play it again, you get the same experience. Oh, awesome. It's really cool. And it's a law of diminishing returns, right? Mm. Resident Evil is a very different thing. The first time you play it, you experience it. You learn the story. You discover the characters. You kind of dive into this thing and kind of, you know, it's it's a very experiential kind of journey through what's happening here trying to survive trying to discover the ending or whatever else the moment you finish the game you're introduced to a new way to play it the new way to play is i want to finish it as quickly as i can now i know how to finish the game i know all the stuff that's going to happen so now when i play it through i'm going to run through and i want to try and finish it as quickly as possible but the other thing that starts to happen as well with that is now you're playing it again and you know what happens you could start to see small little details of where yeah, for example, um, you find the researcher's will um, or you find whatever else and you start seeing familiar names or familiar things referenced. Like the first time you find the keeper's diary and they're talking about sort of feeding things to hunters and you're mm. like, okay, that's interesting. Mm. But you have no idea at that point what a hunter is and you've probably forgotten that in the first playthrough. But by the time you get there, the second time you're like, oh, that's where they mentioned that, it's clever. And you kind of start seeing little bits and pieces. You start thinking about... Well, whose blood is that in front of the fireplace, which is not definitely not Chris's blood? Yeah, that sort of thing. You know, it's kind of when you start looking at it from that perspective. There's lots of... Um, I think Resident Evil is this thing where the story is very resonant, the story is very well-crafted in terms of how it all comes together, despite the hokey acting um, and anything else you might want to add on to it. And as a result, it's just remained this incredibly resonant, uh, sorry, very resonant, this incredibly persistent part of the Resident Evil series to the point where I don't actually know there's a stronger component of Resident Evil storytelling than this.
0: Mm. It's one of those things as well where it gives you plenty of answers or it hides plenty of answers in files and stuff like that for you to discover in multiple playthroughs and things. But also there's, like you say, there are things that... You're, it's down to you to decide, you know. And 25 years later, you'll you'll stream the game and discuss whose blood that is, you know. All this time later, mm. um, it, there's still, in in many ways, it's a great thing. There's still so much that's sort of up for debate and up for your own imagination, which sort of feeds back into the horror of it. And RE1 set the precedent for, and I still think it's unbeaten for it. In terms of, this can just be a scary action game. And that's it. You don't have to pick up any files. You don't really have to care about the story. You can fight the big monster and fly off. Hooray. Or, it can be a deeply enveloping story that as many people have already mentioned that they just wanted to know more about. They needed to understand what happened and understand the world. I'm sure I've mentioned it before on other podcasts, but, you know, just picking up that slides item and seeing the the PowerPoint presentation of all the monsters that you've faced, followed by a photo of scientists with Wesker standing there. Completely optional. Completely missed that, and he can still do his revelation at the end of being the you know, the traitor. Um, but you can discover that for yourself beforehand, uh, if you are keen enough to pick everything up. Um, Steve, what do you think of the plot of Resident Evil?
1: Sir. That's a short, simple question, right? Um, yeah. No. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I I have nothing but respect for it because it's uh, one of the things this game has that a lot of the later games don't really as much is that element of conspiracy and not knowing what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, like you quite rightly pointed out, the files and like you could blitz through this game and just shoot things and bugger off, but the files give you like information on what what's actually happening. Like, you know, you've been. Lord here to be uh, basically thrown up against these things to for battle data, and then screwed over by your boss, Uh, which you know you wouldn't think of straight away. Like I distinctly remember bits and pieces of our first playthrough. Like I've been trying to as much go mentally back and talk to brother about it. We thought it was all like some haunted house ghost stuff up until we got to the lab. But mm-hmm. like, despite all the things we'd seen, we still thought there was a uh, supernatural element <laughs> to the the, uh, the game, and uh, it's fantastic for that. But, but that, I mean, everyone mentions the keeper's diary,
0: right. but
1: for me, I uh, I think it's either I think it's orders or the uh, the facts. You know, the, the one where it talks about the uh, the general plan, the operation, and the, the fact that there is so much almost X Files esque stuff going on in the background. It's Pretty unique. Like, I, I don't recall many games at the time doing it. I, like, how, I mean, games may or may not have had documents in them. But I, I don't recall, like, having that level of interwoven conspiracy that is uh, a larger narrative. And even then, you could, like, theoretically get the best ending with Chris first time, and it literally just says, you, you know, you close this case completely. What a tough guy. And you think that's the end of it. and, it, and Or you could completely botch it. Leave off in a helicopter at the end. Uh, you, know, you know, sole survivor of the incident. And Tyrant walks out into the mists. You don't know what the hell is going to be kicking off.
0: That's right. It, yeah. In in sort of like separation from everything else. There's so mm. many variables. And yeah. Yeah, I think oh, is it the
1: only reason, even with like so many variations on the ending? I mean, it's right. like different routes you're taking. Re two and Re three. Absolutely. But,
0: um well, this
1: one who lives and who dies.
0: Yeah, that's what I definitely wanted to shout out. You know, some of these games have got multiple endings. RE3, I think I guess has three endings, I suppose. Something like that. Um, one of them have you know, they they some of the games have one or two different endings. Resident Evil One has eight different endings, you know, is I would almost argue that that had not been seen before. Um, and I don't think it's really been repeated since not in Resident Evil at least eight different endings which is ridiculous and it's just again at the time who's to say what the correct ending was and obviously we know none of them is actually the answer as it turns out but um, just like the the spec again it feeds into that sort of speculation your own head canon talking about it with other people replaying it to, to try and figure it out and Yeah, the sheer number of choices that you can make in the story of this game is is mind-boggling. And again, uh, just another thing that we were talking about recently when we streamed the game, um, whether you meet Rebecca in the safe room or if you go straight to the corridor with Richard and meet her there, just loads of little bits of that. There's so many different scenes to trigger. The way you can treat Barry and all the different scenes that that plays out and stuff like that. There's absolutely loads of... Optionalness, and again, that is part of the story. Just how optional you want to make the story, because yeah, you can you can solve the case. And Capcom and the writers came up with this quite complex story for the time with a company and the guy you're working with who was working with them but is also working for himself and all this. And you don't need to even they they don't like they don't give it to you like this is the story A to B. You can skip most of the story. They just go. We wrote the story. We, You have to work to piece it together, basically, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, James, what do you think about the plot of RE1 25 years later? So
4: I really appreciate the plot because it is, um, as a writer myself, it's just vague enough that you can build off anything off it. Mm. Um, At the the end, it, um, you know, and they knew that. At the end, it says, oh, it's over for now, like you said earlier. Um, well, it's completely done. This is case closed. Kachink, you know it's done, right? But no, it's not. Uh-huh. Like, why was this happening? Where was this going?
0: What other um, monsters have they made?
4: <laughs> yeah, like this was just and then when like we learned further truth truth through the game series, like it 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 built those foundations like in a really simple, it's a simple story, right and but it's a compelling story. And, yeah, I mean, one of the – like, I, I said it way earlier. It's like, oh, I thought this was just going to be a spooky house, like, game where we just go around the house and, boo it's a spooky <laughs> zombie yeah. behind a wardrobe. But it wasn't. You go through the gardens. You go through the sewers. You go through the lab. You go through the guardhouse, right? You go through all these places. And I wasn't expecting that at all. And it's like, this place is huge. And then there's all these names, Right, and I love names because it's like you could you could put like anything to them. Um, you know, I mean, I was <laughs> made, a, um, I made a joke on uh, another Discord uh, a couple of days ago about um, I have over hundred and fifty eight player characters in Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> right on D and D Beyond, right? I can't even show you all of them, right? And they've all got a story. And you can do whatever you like, like with a name, right? And there's all of these names in it. And I just want to know where they came from then through further or even just as Sherwin said, further playing through the game, you get to learn about these people. And then in remake, you get to learn a little bit more. And then through the series itself, you get to learn a little bit more. And there's some that have been kind of dropped from from the wayside for now. Right. But yeah, I love, um, I love the vagueness of it as a dungeon master. (laughs) Because <laughs> I'm very vague anyway. I like to keep my stories vague so I can build off on those foundations until I can bring it to a conclusion. And Resident Evil, like it, it it's gonna be a constant mainstay because it's always it's it's just in that sweet spot of between supernatural and su- you know, pseudoscience, mm. right? You can do anything with it, just like fantasy. You know, you can do anything. As long as you just loosely explain it, you know, you can, you can, you can, and and as long as you have kind of your, your brain is, you know, you can actually accept that, Um, you know, and they just kind of tie it up. Um, There are some things that, (laughs) there are some things that, um, you know, need tying up, such as the, you know, we were talking about um, infinite darkness earlier on with RE4 and kind of what happened to Leon and stuff, but, you know, you can do that. It's there. You know anyone could do that. You can make your own fanfic if you want.
0: Exactly. You know.
4: Yeah. You know you can do anything with it, and you know what? They're all valid, right? And this game, Resident Evil, right, started that, and it should be applauded.
2: Yeah, I think I just could quickly bolt onto that as well. This is yes to everything you said, but the other thing, uh, as someone which you may or may not have necessarily picked up on, but as someone who played it way back in the day. This actually felt like, and I—I I don't think I've ever really felt it since because of this game. But also, never, I never—I know I'd never felt it before. This actually felt like you were playing a movie, mm. and that is because yeah. of the FMB, because of the voice acting. Like you literally sat down, and it felt like, wow, I'm actually playing a movie here. This is really cool. Like that's the first time I think I've ever had that in a video game. It felt more than just a video game. It felt like you were, you know, in, effectively again, it's an interactive movie experience. Because of you know the horror, the horror movie vibes, because of like the way the camera shots worked and everything else, like you know, because of the, the F and because of the voice acting, everything else, it really did give you that feeling. And I think that in the same way that, you know, if you look at Metal Gear Solid is probably the closest one I could think of that did right. it outside of that. Yeah. Um and then obviously all the sequels to that which felt like really boring movies. But the point is, <laughs> is that um uh-huh. yeah, you've yeah. kind of got that it's it's that what it is, that's what it did. And I think that works really, really well for this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that is obviously what they are going for. The word cinematic is so overused, but this was the beginning of cinematic gaming and Resident Evil was, again, with many things it was doing, it was riding that wave of being something new and original. Um, One thing that it did borrow back to Alone in the Dark (laughs) was two playable characters. So quite a simple question for everyone. Do you have a preference on the player? Do you play as Chris more? Do you play as Jill more? Do you think it's kind of equal? Do you try and remember what you played as last time and then play the other one like I attempt to do, but then usually I just wind up playing the Jill path because, you know, Barry. Um, and also because I just like her inventory space, personally. I'll play as Chris on, you know, Deadly Silence a little bit more because, he, you know, the free knife, that's nice. Uh, makes it a little bit easier to deal with. But I usually always just... Default back to Jill. Um Steve, any, any particular preference of the two campaigns? If you if I had to push the issue?
1: You had to push the issue. It's it's harder for me to say in remake, but in this one, generally Jill, like uh this is I don't I'm not sure. I feel like I'm digging at moth-eaten memory, but I distinctly remember our first time playing as Chris was getting murdered by the first zombie. Uh because uh something something, we only have a knife. <laughs> and and my brother's logic was well, Jill has a, th- a gun in that cast bit. Let's give her a go. <laughs> and that's when we just, I think it was just, you know, from there on, bolted through as Jill.
0: I love that logic.
1: But again, I, this is I'm not sure how much of this is like, you know, misremembering, but that distinctly, yeah, if I had to make a choice, like I can only play RE1 one way, one more time for the rest of my life, I'd play as a Jill campaign.
0: I like, yeah, I like that setup to the question. So in that case, Sherwin, you can play RE1 once more. Who do you play as?
2: Barry. <laughs> Good answer. It's literally, it's, it's literally that. Um, I, I personally, I find Chris to be a really flat, underdeveloped, boring character. Um, that's not going to owe me any friends. I just think Chris is just Captain Bland. Um, even <laughs> when they get into the stage where he's punching boulders, he's just some chump running around, to be honest, just you know blindly doing stuff. Um Jill is a much Jill is Jill is a much more um developed, much more engaging character. Mm. Uh, I I really and again, Barry, it's literally that simple.
0: Can't really argue that, that's fair. Um James, I get the feeling that you're gonna go the other side for one particular similar reason. Oh man. <laughs> um,
4: f- first of all, I just wanna just quickly, um, it's not spoken about another thing, you guys know my love for this is tacked on. Maybe you want to edit this into the end of the kind of the, the overarching story of the game, but um, you guys know how much I love Alien and the franchise itself. And Resident Evil borrows a whole bunch from the Alien franchise, mm-hmm. and I really and I super appreciate that, like because it's it feels like a, a although it's not spoken about much, it feels like a little swan song. It's about a big corporation effing up everybody's day, mm-hmm. you know, doing bio de- uh, weapon development.
1: From right? a certain point of view, you could argue Wesker is Carter Burke's brother in law. Exactly.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
4: but yes, uh, so fast forwarding. Um, oh, man, I got a lot to say about these two. So, so Chris, I'm the same as you, showing You got an ally in me when it comes to Chris. I don't like him very much. Um as a character, he is very flat and he is very bland and he doesn't have much going on. and you can talk about his history until the cows go home. but he's a very just generic male character in a computer game. Jill um, Lowe she actually, you know her backstory actually has some flavor there, right? Like she used to be a thief. Yeah, ah, see, is-
0: that's only in the book, necessarily. I mean, you could technically, you could take that and run with it if you want. There's nothing that says that. Her B&E
1: skills are never confirmed as to where she got them, I do believe. Right. <laughs>
0: exactly. tell you what, here's an
2: interesting point about Resident Evil. Resident Evil has now got to the stage with so many of the remakes and so many of the movies and so many of the original games and everything else. Resident Evil has now got to that point the same as comic books, where there's just universes, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, <laughs> I it, mean, it, it, it's yeah. like, there's this literally, we, so we all <laughs> we, we all talk about we all talk about oh well what what, what are the, yeah what's gonna happen to Leon or Claire or whatever. It's almost irrelevant. You can't you know you can't base anything anymore on kind of <laughs> on what I know from X Game because they kind of exist within their own sub series or whatever else. They're mm-hmm. like a raw template okay. that someone grabs and does anything. However, that said, Jill is interesting in all of those different universes. Chris is boring in every single <laughs> one of those <laughs> universes. Preach.
1: <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah. Contra, like, playing it safe, like, generic male character, whereas for the time, Jill is unique. Not only in her design, she's not hyper-sexualized, she's just a lady in a beret with weird shoulder pads, you know? Mm -hmm. Even back then, Laura was heavily sexualized. Jill wasn't. Not not until at least Resident Evil 3.
4: Uh, Yeah, I, I was about to say, like, in Resident Evil 3,
1: definitely was. But the 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 point is that one's very on model for the era, and one's uh, a lot more of a braver step forward. But
4: mm-hmm. to 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 kind of come to a conclusion, even though I say that, like there are certain things about Jill that, and it co- it goes throughout the actual series. Um, even when we get up to re five, there's certain things about Jill I just can't gel with, right? But I like Jill more as a character, mm-hmm. right? So I can get on with Jill. Like, cause I always think, you know, if Jill was sitting standing right next to me right now, I would get on more with Jill than I d- clearly would with Chris for <laughs> sure. Because Chris is just a brick,
0: mm-hmm. you
4: know? Um, He's just a, he's just a blunt force, you know, weapon um, that is just brought in like to punch boulders. Um, But yeah, I would say Jill takes it for me.
0: Nice, nice. I mean, not even swayed by the promise of Rebecca on the Chris path. No, like, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, I yeah, I
4: love I love Rebecca, you, you know, I, and, and I do love, like, in the book as well, uh, please go watch the book club because uh, we talk about that a bunch. But, yeah, um, I love Rebecca. I really do. But, you know, she could be in Jill's, like, side.
0: <laughs> that would be pretty
4: cool. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't even change anything because mm. Chris just comes in and goes, Herder, Herder, Herder. And she's like, okay, listen here, baby, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this is how it's going to go. You know, it's, that's pretty much how it is. Um, and it could just be transported and transferred over to, to Jill's fight for, like, for sure.
1: Fair play to Chris, though. He does take getting tear gassed into the, well, no, pepper spray to the face, like the most chill person, I think, <laughs> anyone in, in any game or instance ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. what, Whoa!
2: <laughs> what
0: is it? <laughs> right,
2: because it yeah, because it's Link's Africa, it's the nineties.
0: There's no <laughs> <to it. laughs> So we talked we um. mentioned Deadly Silence and we will always mention Deadly Silence. We love Deadly Silence. Um But is is it I mean oh, I know they already know the answer to this. Is it the best port? I already know the answer to this. But if you're gonna replay RE1, where do you generally land with it? For me, you know, I played the Saturn version recently, just just to do it because I hadn't done it. I think the only version I haven't played is the, you know the classic PC Windows version. Um, if I'm going to boot up RE1, typically it's the original PlayStation, not the, not the uh, Director's Cut. Don't know why, just always reach for the original. But given the choice between the two, um, you know we talked at length about Deadly Silence, so I don't necessarily need to say why exactly. If you want to know why, you can go and listen to that much older podcast. But Deadly Silence is still the premier way to play for me. Sherwin, what version do you usually reach for, Ferrari 1?
2: It's going to be Deadly Silence. Uh, partially, honestly, on that one, it, it's convenience. Like, my PlayStation is upstairs, right. uh, not hooked up, whereas I can just grab my uh, my old DS and then just play some Deadly Silence. Um, but I think, I think to be fair, Deadly Silence does enough in terms of mixing things around a little bit. It's got some unique puzzles and stuff that mm. it kind of improves... A crucial little bit of fresh air rather than playing, you know, through the old puzzles I've seen time and time again. Either that, or if I really want to go real, real OG kind of just for the authentic experience of this is how this thing was, I'm playing it then.
0: Yes, yeah, so. that's fair. It's always nice to pull the old console out and slap it in, you know.
2: Um, well, it's just it's just to get the definitive raw experience, absolutely. Through, oh,
0: 100, right? yeah, that's that's why I do it. Uh, All Steve. Right. Where do you usually reach to get your RE1
1: fixed? Traditionally, I I would say it literally is a case of somewhere between whether I want to play on the big screen with director's cut or just play Deadly Silence. But having recently acquired the PC version, I know a lot of people have modded that to hell and back to make it look a bit more, um, you know, like use those HD project upscales and things. I wouldn't mind giving that a try and seeing how it shakes out. if there's a version of the PC version that maybe borrows some of the mod cons from Deadly Silence, like, you know, built-in knife and a 180 turn I'm probably not going to use, that would probably end up being my definitive. But in lieu of that being a mostly hypothetical version for me at the moment, yeah, um, ah, big screen, dead, dead, um, so director's cut. As much as I love That's Deadly fair. Silence, big screen. Yeah, I
0: understand that completely. Uh, James, I don't know if you've played Deadly Silence, have you?
4: No, no, I have not played Deadly Silence. Mm.
0: I was going to say that, Uh, in that that case, uh, that would probably be uh, a thing that should happen. Yeah, is that, is it on PC? (laughs) Not legally, unfortunately. The thing (laughs) of it is, you know, we talked about this before, I just wanted to put it again on record Capcom if you're out there. Put Deadly Silence on the GD Switch. It needs to happen. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, go mm.
4: on. So what what's different about Deadly Silence to so the
1: original?
0: Um, so, there's. That's a big pile of fish. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's yeah. got, yeah, some touchscreen puzzles. It's also got a microphone related puzzle, which is awkward and weird. Um, sometimes, when you enter a room, you get a first person perspective and you got to swipe your knife at some incoming enemies. So, it's got some extra stuff just to sort of keep you on your toes. Okay. You can also
1: <laughs> blow puke back at zombies' faces when they're puking at you <laughs> by breathing into yeah. the microphone.
2: Um oh. so so I I think it's been a little while since I played this resent this reminds me of this I, I I've got a mental image I think it's right Do you do CPR with Richard at some point Yes you do Right there you go is that not selling it to you straight away <laughs> And he's you has got Richard, a new you voice actor. Give him CPR do I, to keep him alive Yeah do I get to kiss Richard
0: Yeah basically yes.
4: yeah Oh man yeah. I need to play
2: this game <laughs> and and his voice and his voice acting they they revisited it and they thought, you know what? Just because that ouch was not quite there for the up to the spec with all the rest of the voice acting, they added a much better voice actor for it. Oh, um, for <laughs> Oh, I need to play this game now. There you go, sold it. I know because um... it will blow your mind how much better it is. <laughs> but
4: I mean, out of the ones I played, like I preferred to play, like um, I preferred, I preferred the remake on PC. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've watched Steve play the director's cut, and it's to play, I prefer the remake, okay, and this is going to sound right. really strange, guys, right, but I prefer in total, like, if I was just bringing everything together and to talk about it, I prefer the original game to the remake,
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, which I know is weird, I know I mean, the thing communities... Actually,
0: I don't think that's as strange as you think it sounds.
4: Yeah. I, don't, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, like, I really prefer the director's cut to what, like, I really prefer watching Steve play director's cut. But I feel like if I play director's cut, I mean, one, it would just break my hands. But two, it's it does, like, it feels, I don't know, maybe it's nostalgia. But even then, I might be just feeding off Steve. He's, I'm absorbing his energy, you know, his nostalgia energy. But I still yeah. preferred, preferred the original to the remake.
0: That's cool. That was obviously going to be my next question as well for everyone, you know, Remake or RE1. Um, It's so close. It's so, so close. As I said, they're both in my top five. I think I'm depending on the day, to be honest. Remake might nudge it, maybe, but you can ask me again next week and it'll be something completely different. Um, As I said, they can both exist for me and both be 100% enjoyable in their own ways and I can... Fancy one over the other, depending on what day it is. Um, Remake is superior in its visual design, arguably in its audio design. I love the additions it made. Um, From a story perspective with Lisa and stuff like that, the gameplay is wonderful. I I often tell it as, whilst not necessarily my number one favourite game in the series, it's probably the best. It's probably the definitive game. It's probably, if I had to give a single game to anyone who was open-minded about any genre. Start with RE1 Remake. But I just love RE1 Classic a lot as well, so it's really hard to say. Um, Sherwin, choice for you, Remake or RE1, where would you usually hang your hat? Do
2: you know, my my hipster instincts are flying so hard for the original. (laughs) They really, really, really are. But much like I can't but agree with everything you just said, I genuinely, with my only reservation being that I think the endings are a little bit flat, would probably say that mm-hmm. RE1 Remake might well be the best video game ever made. Damn. Uh, and I'm gonna, and as a result, I'm going to struggle to say anything other than that's um, I, I, probably going to win.
0: That's fair. That is really fair. Steve, where do you fall on this one?
1: See, it's it's like you say. Si. It depends what mood I'm in. If I want a a serious horror experience in the Resident Evil universe, right? I go for remake. But if I just want some casual fun, RE1 vanilla, you know, classic. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I I'm a very light hearted dude, as you know. So you know, with my serious face <laughs> underneath is you know uh, a raving lunatic. So. Probably a fan of the PS One originally. If I if I had to choose which one I get to play once more for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. it's going to be original. As much as I will to this day say that the remake is fundamentally a uh, improved in most places, there's something strangely more appealing about just you know sitting down and going around the brightly neonly lit uh, Spencer Estate Mansion without a, uh, a scary face mask wearing monster with chains and uh no double resurrecting zombies it, which is strange to say because like there there is no denying that, that the remake has better visuals that it has a uh, more cohesively put together narrative vocal performance music is to take it or leave it depends on what you really like but there's just something about the original and uh it draws me so yeah I'll be that. I'll be the guy. I'll be the guy who says the remake's nice, but I'm staying here with my old-fashioned PS One disc.
0: <laughs> I think I, I'm going to say something that I don't think many listeners. I don't know if they'll understand where I'm coming from on this or not, and even arguably you guys. But we do streams on Twitch and on our Discord, and Twitch. We described it before. Twitch is a bit more, you know, proper streaming with a nice. There's, set up and the transitions and stuff. And with Discord, as Steve so coined the term, which is definitely stuck, is it's the t-shirt and jeans stream where we just relax. You know, we're not in front of the potential world audience of Twitch. It's just, you know, regular Discord members. Um and <laughs> if I was gonna play remake, it feels more like a Twitch proper game. Like this is like a sp- this is a stream, you know. If I'm gonna play wow. something on Discord Let's just relax and play RE1, goof off. Maybe, you know, maybe that makes sense, maybe not. That being said, of all the really hard questions I've asked tonight, I'm now going to ask everyone to just sort of wrap it up. Let's sum up RE1, its legacy, 25 years on. Oh boy, good luck, everybody, for this one, because I have no idea what to say. Steve, let's start with you. How do you feel about Resident Evil 1996? This
1: is, I think what you could pretty much just summarize all of my voice clips for this podcast, and you've got me, really, to write on this one. So I'm going to just turn around and say that if you are a uh, a member of the Resident Evil fandom, and for whatever reason you've been put off or people have swayed you to saying that the remake is the only one you need to play, uh, I encourage you, I implore with you to expand your horizons and go in. Like, you know, don't expect it to be better than remake. Expect it to be fun lighthearted um you know it's a very different creature to so it's uh you know it's younger more polished iteration and it's a little bit more jack but as an origin to the franchise it's one of the strongest like this there's a reason this game set a template for the, the rest of the genre to follow like even non-resident evil games still kind of ape the whole concepts that this game puts forward and yeah you could say Alone in the Dark did it first. I- I'll grant you that. Also, correction to what I said earlier. Alone in the Dark does not have voxels. I I, I got confused. But it's also a very, very rubbish game in comparison. <laughs> did you know that Resident Evil was conceived as a uh, spiritual successor to Sweet Home? Sorry, someone had to say it at some point. Now, yeah. I've never played Sweet Home for the same reason. I intend to go back and play that and find out all the fuss about that. And, uh, you know, going back and seeing this legacy stuff. It's important to appreciate, I find. Um, So trying to not, you know, rub it on. Yeah, it's all right. You know, nine out of (laughs) ten.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, sweet home, coming to a podcast one day near you. We will get there, definitely. Uh, Because I'm in the same camp I'd also like to to properly play it other than the sort of ten minutes that I had a look at it. Uh, similarly looking back. But yeah, you know, it is often the case that something else sort of walks so something can run. And that is sort of where I was getting coming from with the sort of setting up with Alone in the Dark, is it It pointed towards a door that Resident Evil just bolted his head through and went, I'm here! And, uh, you know, so many games. Um, you can find a handful of games that have tried to coin a genre, a term for a genre, and it's pretty laughable. Usually, if the game is not the good,
1: then type game Death Stranding.
0: Right, exactly. It's a, probably a prime example. Obviously, some people love that game; they're absolutely inclined to that opinion. I've not played it, but I know it's got mixed review. And just talking about the genre that it's trying to coin just it seems a bit silly uh, and reductive. But RE One. And the creators behind it, they knew what they had. They were bold enough to do it. And survival horror was a genre and still is a genre, uh, an underground genre perhaps. But they had full confidence to do that. And nobody laughed it off like they would if it had happened now. And, you know, uh, they really set the stage for so many games with RE1. James, what are your final thoughts on RE1 1996?
4: Um perseverance with this game and the Mm -hmm. franchise. Um, RE one has persevered through a lot of bad and a lot of good. Um, like and it's it's you know, they it had a talented team behind it, and they're like, No, we have something and we're gonna keep going for it. And they keep kept chasing that dream and what they had and now we have one of the best horror franchises of any video game series um on any platform cuz it's on everything now mm-hmm. um yeah that you that we will likely see um in gaming ever um if it keeps going and judging by the uh the fact that there has been going since since 19 you know since the late 90s Of 25 years, you know, that's crazy. I think the only other kind of games company that can, or the only other kind of thing that can really hold a torch to that, like again, I mentioned it before, is Tomb Raider, right? But even Tomb Raider hasn't kind of had as much success Mm. as Resident Evil has.
0: Mm. It's
4: done so well. And again, the talent and the perseverance behind the team and the story they have and it's like being able to, uh, you know, listen to the, you know, sometimes listening to the the players, um, most of the time, listen to the players, I'll say. Um, sometimes not. Then we get other games, <laughs> don't really yeah. hit the mark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like RE1 started all, it started this genre and it deserves respect. Um, and yeah like I would love to play the game like I I would love to play it but I just don't think I can because it's just so it's it's an older game now and I cannot get I've been spoiled friends I've been spoiled so much um but I love it I love the game and you should too and you sh- and everybody should respect it it's like it's like um you know, it's like movies you know like you always have to respect the first movie of a franchise mm. because it started it all mm-hmm. Um, whether you like it or not it needs respect and it's the same with Resident Evil
0: yeah and the series is in a pretty pretty good place right now one of the best places it's been arguably for a long time Um, you know I too consider myself to some degree a Tomb Raider fan it's also 25 this year and it's a shame to see what they're doing or not doing for the anniversary it seems like whereas we're getting as we just talked about Infinite Darkness and the film and a new game Uh, Ori is in a really good place Uh, 25 years later it's it's very strong I would be shocked if the series goes away (laughs) ever (laughs) you know short of Capcom suddenly going bankrupt and even then I think you could sell the rights on right? which you know may or may not be a good thing that happens it's obviously just all hypothetical but I'm, yeah, the end of this series is very much nowhere near uh, in sight. Showing, how do you feel about RE1 1996, 25 years on, to wrap us up?
2: um, I'm actually going to run a little... I'll say something that sounds hyperbolic at the end, but for starters, just as a quick, a quick point. I think that, Joe, it's an interesting thing. People always talk about how you should like the originals or the classics because... You know they started the thing, or because there's something where, hey, you should always listen to Black Sabbath, man, because they started off metal, and you know you're into metal now, you have to listen to Black Sabbath. No, I don't care for Black Sabbath. I can respect what they did, but I don't care to listen to it or experience it. It's just a bit rubbish, uh, which is its own thing that I've just burnt bridges with. But the point <laughs> is, is that um, at the same time, like Resident Evil, if you are to go back and play it now, it's not just us sitting here waxing lyrical and in deep in nostalgia and talking about how amazing it is, it's an experience that's still got its own qualitative thing that you can go back and, and actually enjoy. Yes, it will feel dated in some respects, but in other ones, as we've talked about, it really won't. It is an experience that's worthwhile if you're a fan of the series, if you're not a fan of the series. It's, it's a reason why when they released the Deadly Silence port, people still went out and bought it and enjoyed it. That's mm. why or clamouring for a HD kind of version on a Switch or whatever else as a collection or anything else. This is something where Resident Evil... The, the original game is just still stands up to the test of time in many ways, just as well as it ever could do. And we've got a whole podcast of us talking about how much we love this game. And we can talk about um, the community or anything else. Uh, so this is the hyperbolic part, and it's a very much a personal thing. Um, I played that game, and through some strange insane amount of god knows what you know kind of right moment at right time thing this is a game that's actually defined my entire life if it wasn't the fact that i played resident evil i would not be sitting here talking to you guys now not because i'd love the game or anything i actually like resident evil has been a huge part of a facet of my life Is in it's it's weirdly been something that's defined my career it's something that sent me to the opposite side of the world and back it's something which mm. i've talked to people on i think just about single, no in fact every single continent off the planet to about at some point it's something where as a result of my interactions with this game it's just propelled me into this whole other direction where i might have gone i don't know i could say that about any other video game in the world and that's all because basically one of my friends came back from his holiday over the summer holidays, and went, Hey, and I've got this really cool new game. You should watch it. And then shot a zombie's head with a cult python. That's my very first Resident Evil memory. And so it's going to stick with me. It's, um, Resident Evil is truly lightning in a bowl, something special, whichever term you want to give it. It's literally just a defining thing for consoles, for genres, for video games.
0: End. Very well said. Well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors. If you'd like to be part of the show, then please look into auditioning for our file readings. Join the Discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our community. Discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. You can find a link to the server, as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, and more at faspraypod.com. You can find the podcast... You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review if you can. It helps spread the word. You can also support the show by picking up some merch or at patreon.com forward slash Pod for as little as $1 a month. In our next episode, we go from the original release to one that never was. Several, in fact. When we return to our series on early versions of games to take a look at what could have become Resident Evil 4 with beta builds. 3.5 thank you to the panel you can follow all of the Pueblo people individually I'm at sineac underscore one two three Steve is at FB Steve was taken Sherwin is at showing's Agenda and James is at Moist Owl at OFF and finally thank you for listening and have a good week
2: Right, so, so just a shout out to everybody, our next episode absolutely should be we're gonna do another thing that no one's ever done before. We are gonna do an episode where we review the Resident Evil Two demo disc that comes <laughs> on the director's <laughs> copy of this. That, that's, oh, that's that's something we can dive into. Yeah, we can I still do that. got it as well. <laughs> so I it's the point. Two of us at least have got it. Course, yeah, I've yeah. got a right. Of, of all these people, uh, oh, who on the podcast might have that demo disc? Well, it's going to be Stephen Shirley. <laughs> <Yeah. Fair. laughs>